0: Well, Waypoint Plus listeners, it's a new year, a new us, and we have a new Matrix. That's right, we've returned to, do, to cap off our discussions of the Matrix series with a look at the Matrix Resurrections, the return of the franchise after its conclusion in Revolutions and its Matrix Online afterlife. Uh, some familiar faces have returned as well, while in some cases only familiar characters have returned with... Brand new faces attached to them. And of course, uh, L- Lana Wachowski has come back to helm the film, but her sister and creative partner Lily did not. And so this Matrix movie was co written with David Mitchell and Alexander Heman. Uh, so it's going to be a different Matrix uh, in in a number of ways. And I guess we'll get into the, re- the Resurrection's reactions here with our panel. Uh, today we have Gita Jackson. Hello. Patrick Klopik. I'm ready for the final (laughs) jack-off. God.
1: The final jack-off! Damn, damn, damn! I was was right there! (laughs) And fixing
0: this somehow, our producer, Ricardo Contreras.
1: If I've learned anything from watching
0: the Matrix series, there's nothing to fix.
2: There's nothing to fix. There's no subtext there. It's all text. They're all long. Okay, someone else go first.
0: I can't. I can't go first. I can't. I don't, like... Someone else. What did you think of fucking, this movie?
2: i have been ready. Okay, we got <laughs> tickets to see this in theaters. Me and David. Then we didn't go because of the Omicron surge. Um, but
3: good call. Yeah, you, you were gonna get. You were you gonna get swarmed?
2: <laughs> what? Yeah. Um.
0: You do, know I, it's cool when they tell you it's cool.
2: I cried from this movie. I absolutely did a crying from this movie. I really liked this movie. I. As a, I'm also a huge fan of David Mitchell's novels, which we'll probably talk a little bit about as we go through the narrative. And uh, I've been a huge fan of Sensate, the show that the Wachowskis had worked on yeah. uh, with Netflix in collaboration with Tom Twyker, who does the score for this movie. And um, i turns I'm out, turns here was for just these like... sensibilities, you know? <laughs> I'm very much putting picking up what they are putting down. I received the movie as it was given to me, essentially. And I can tell that the movie that a lot of people got was not what they wanted because it's, I kept up with the Wachowskis after the matrix and watched the different projects they did post matrix and saw that they had changed as filmmakers. And I really got a a lot out of like the film studies part of my brain got a lot out of this movie just by looking at how much they've improved and sort of how she's, just found her craft again, a new sort of energy in her craft, revisiting these old materials. Um, but also just on a baseline story level, this story is is completely all text, no subtext, and is addressing me directly, someone who did grow up on the Matrix and who does feel like the Matrix is something indescribably just a part of my personality because of where I was when it became the most popular movie on Earth. And it does mean something to me that I do feel has been co-opted by political agents that don't want to use it, that want to use it for nefarious means. And I think that it's, um, I think there's a very worthy successor to all of the th- ideas that were in the original Matrix series uh, while being a very, very different kind of film. Um, but one I really liked a lot you know, needless to say, I also love Jupiter Ascending. I am lukewarm on Cloud Atlas, but that has a lot to do with me reading that book in college and just really over-identifying with it and just sobbing in the school library while I read it. Um but it's it's a good movie. It's a good movie, and I never want them to do another matrix movie ever again. <laughs>
3: Uh, well, I would have said that before this movie? And at this point, it's like if if they if 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 you know if if if, if Alana chose to come back, I would assume it would be because she she had a good idea. But I I'm with you. I yeah. Uh, there's a line uh, I read recently from somebody uh, commenting on. Uh, this movie was that there are fans of the matrix and then there are fans of the matrix. And what what I mean by that is that there are fans of the the 1999 film, the matrix. And then there are fans of the matrix as a franchise and Mm -hmm. like what it says as a world and a series. And Mm -hmm. it's like the evolution of its themes and ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think you can distill a lot of the reaction to this film along the lines of, are you a fan of the original Matrix film or are you a fan of the Matrix as a series and where it went? Because yeah. I agree with you that if you've not kept up with the Wachowski's output afterwards, which I had not, I basically mm-hmm. like like uh, uh you know uh, uh Revolutions came out and I went I get yeah uh I guess that's it. Like, I guess I was Mm -hmm. just a fan of that first movie and these movies don't work for me. And so I kind of like, I kind of just fell off. And um, over before uh, watching uh, Resurrections, like I spent my parts of my holiday break, like watching Jupiter Ascending and Cloud Atlas. And like, uh, now granted, I think Revolutions very much is like them uh, shifting to a mode. And then those movies are just keeping with it alongside with Sense8. But Mm -hmm. like, basically like this movie is a, a it Feels like a very uh, uh, direct sequel to those films, yeah. um, the, the second, the, the third Matrix film specifically. And it's like if you weren't on board with that, there's like nothing about this movie is going to work for you because it's really just picking up where that left off. But I, I'm, I'm so with you. I think this is a a masterwork. It is such a, it, the first 45 minutes of this movie are like some of the boldest story like storytelling <laughs> I have seen God. in a blockbuster film that cost 190 million dollars. <laughs> Yes. to make like i'm just sitting there just like fl- flabbergasted that Lana was able to even get this through the door i um, and 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 we yeah. can get into why why it works well but I, I the swings here are like so wild in so many ways the emotional beats completely landed for me it's a movie that i enjoyed a lot more i actually managed to like rearrange my morning and like finish my second yes. like rewatch because the first time watching it I was both drunk and also just like unable to fully process the movie. I was, j- I was just, I was looking at it too much. Like I was like yeah, sta- yeah. staring at it, like pa- pausing the scene with the the machines fighting and like my wife being like, "What are you? What, like what? Is, you know, she like likes the Matrix, but like is not like has not been doing what I've been doing for the last several months of becoming a Matrix fan. And <laughs> the second time was able to just sit with the movie for what it was. And I guess my concluding point would be: I think this movie will. Much much faster go through the critical reevaluation that mm-hmm. the two the other two movies did, even for folks that it didn't land the first time. Um, because I think it's a much stronger singular work than even two and three were. Like two Absolutely. and three felt like are very messy. This mm-hmm. feels very calculated, very very thought through, and has has a very singular message through all, all of its themes. That I I, th- I think it knocks it completely out of out of the park.
2: Yeah, to that notion. Um, similar to the first Matrix movie, if you missed that A to B to C, very straightforward storytelling script with a very airtight, no moments in the script for you to not know what the characters are doing or why things are happening, this this script is so much closer in form to the first script yeah, for the Matrix. Yeah, yeah, it, it's absolutely. a lot more. And I, I just feel like I will get... To a lot of the things that you just said, I completely agree. with But I just want to say before we judge everyone else's reactions, Patrick, you you would really like Sensei. I think you would yeah. really I think like so, Sensei. So. I, I, I,
3: I, yeah, like uh, having you know, I'm sure we'll go off some Cloud Atlas and Jupiter, mm-hmm. sending tangents. And I think Cloud yeah. Atlas. If you're gonna watch one, if you like, if you're if you like, like, if you're like, I need a pair of work with uh, Matrix uh, Resurrections, like go watch Cloud Atlas. Like yeah. try try your best to look past all of the, the, yeah, the horrible it's racist. fucking it's, racist makeup. It's racist. <laughs> like- and, and, and and i'm not I'm, in no world am i am i defending that even if yeah. i see what they were going for oh. um but like uh it, it, it just in terms of like Lo- like love as like the power of the universe, like that—that mm-hmm. that is the like uh, uh, like the film that like encompasses that. Clip. But I'm so excited to watch Sensate at this oh, point because I am fully, I'm yeah. fully on board with their complete brand of
4: bullshit. um
3: oh, You might
1: recognize
2: some of the actors too. <laughs> That's
4: my—that <laughs> oh, no. my, that my Turns out Sensate mm-hmm. was just a casting call for the Matrix Resurrection, <laughs> which I for yeah. I'm,
2: yeah. Kato, what did you think about the Matrix Resurrection? Oh, I
4: fucking loved it. I, I'm uh, I'm also a sucker though for meta textual like uh mm-hmm. you know stories like you know fucking. Yeah, you're Undertale. a tabletop
2: game player. Both yeah, both you know? like
4: <laughs> yeah, both that and like Undertale is one of my favorite video games of all time for that mm-hmm. reason. Uh, and I just um. <sighs> It's it's weird. It's uh, I, I I at first feel like I had a sort of um, weirdly aesthetic reaction here Uh a, a reaction to the aesthetics here that turned me off until I just, like started thinking about it. And we can get deeper into why that is. But like sitting I went to a theater, which I actually think. It was it was like the day it came out or whatever, so it was like Omicron was starting to spike but hadn't hit enough for me to be like, I shouldn't go anywhere. (laughs) But I'm glad I ended up doing that because I think there is actually especially when a movie is this digital, there is something different about watching the sharpness of like a big Uh, screen and I like noticed the difference when I was watching it streaming at home how the encoding was kind of fucking with it there was a weird sort of cleanness to its look in the theater that was like this is purposeful at this point right there's Ugh. a there's a there's the way this is being shot like you don't do this on accident if you're the, if you're the pe- the people who made this movie because of you know it's metatextual kind of stuff so like i really really am glad i got to see it in a theater um i'm very jealous <laughs> it's it was yeah it was kind of it was amazing um and like i i flipped from like the first couple scenes being like why does this look this way it looks very strange to me uh like remembering how you know filmic and like you could still you know obviously it was 1999 they're still using film <laughs> but um yeah i think barring getting it into actual plot points i did really enjoy just the whole the whole endeavor and found it kind of interesting how much the queer subtext became text in a way, even though there's still also still a little bit of subtext here, yeah, um, yeah, which I really you know I think we all kind of have we've talked about it on these podcasts specifically, but also me personally as from the first times of to watched to like rewatching them, uh always thought there was some of that there, obviously, under the like as subtext and. I really enjoy the ways in which this one makes certain certain parts of those things uh, a text in a, in a in a metaphorical way. Still, like it's kind of a weird thing to say. Like it's not quite subtext, but it's also not quite text. But it's still very mm-hmm. present in the work that this was made by a queer person, uh, mm-hmm. and obviously also uh, specifically trans person. But I think mm-hmm. the ideas of queerness in this movie are actually like. Really, really uh interesting the way that that it plays out, especially given some of the casting. Also, again, mm-hmm. we'll get into
0: details. Uh, yeah, when we'll I get have to a couple characters. of
1: things to say about
0: that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was that enough time, Rob? Oh yeah. Um and it confirmed for me like I am glad I went last because <laughs> I did not want this to start off as an argument. Because uh, I like this movie considerably less than mm. y'all.
2: Do. I want to hear why, though. Please, I'm yeah, interested. I'm like- because I love I'm gonna opinions. say up front,
0: like I think there's a danger with this discussion goes along where like I came down in a certain place, and the thing I'm gonna try to avoid in this conversation is like at every turn being like, I'm gonna justify my negative reaction at every moment to yeah. like things in the plot. Uh but that's that's a risk when you've got like a divergent reaction uh like this. I think for me, there's a few things. Um you might be on this something, Guido, where like I might have wanted something more like the earlier films and this is very different Mm -hmm. and some of the ways it's different uh, were leaving me very, very cold. Um, I think in terms of just like shooting style, uh, the way fights and combat and action is presented here is much less engaging or spectacular than it Mm -hmm. was in any of the previous films. There is no, there is nothing to, rival the freeway chase. Um, there is, in in a lot of ways, actually, I'm reminded a little bit more of like uh, Paul Greengrass's take on the Bourne franchise, uh, sort of like filtering back through into here with a bit more of a intimate, not quite shaky cam approach to the action, but like it, trying to more uh, involve you as a um, invisible member yeah. of, the, of the group uh, yeah. rather than like a distant observer. Mm-hmm. I think the... I think for me, the, the, the big thing is it doesn't really, there's, there's, there's a part of this movie. I I really do like, I I enjoyed it the most in the first, like third of -hmm. the film. And then as it went along, it began to lose me. And I, I guess the, the weird thing for me is I was actually most on board with it when it was sort of directly reconsidering, what does it mean to make a Matrix film at this point? Like, what is the Matrix? What are we, how we respond to our fandom? How we respond to the cultural object that we created? I also like when it's also dealing with these themes of Neo finding himself in middle age mm-hmm. and finding himself leading a pretty good life, but also being weirdly uneasy and unhappy in that really good life. Seeing Seeing an older Neo played by an older uh, Keanu Reeves, uh, condo, he like, looks he looks old in this movie, right? Yeah, like he, and, and so vulnerable. The, 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 so- the,
3: John, the John Wick movie is like by I don't know how much it's makeup or style or like like, but they. They make him seem like as though he is uh, been enveloped in Matrix goo and kept young. And in yeah. this movie, I'm sure it's, I, I'm sure that is related to how it's shot and makeup and all those mm-hmm. things. But like he feels his age in this <sighs> film in a way that like like it carries that weight that you're that you're speaking to Rob, especially it's- in those the early moments.
2: It's Description of like adult alienation, I also found very relatable. Like, the first Matrix movie really speaks to what felt like to me, like an adolescent feeling of mm-hmm. ad- I, mm-hmm. you know, isolation and alienation. Just like the kid becomes sort of an avatar for that, and he's a literal high school student in the you know, the later two Matrix movies. Um, where it's this idea of just like, what is my purpose? Where do I fit in in the world? And like, as you become an adult that sense of alienation doesn't disappear it just shifts onto different things so you're a critically acclaimed video game developer who's literally won a game award and yet being at that party <laughs> makes you want to literally jump off a building <laughs> like so, you know like that that kind of thing it reminds me a lot of what patrick recommended i start watching yellow jackets and i think that yeah. this is a cultural theme a cultural theme that is coming up in a lot of different works that i'm picking up at least maybe it's because i'm in my 30s now but it like the adult alienation of the characters in Yellow Jackets when you see them as adults after also seeing them as teenagers is something that's incredibly potent and I think really well realized in both of these things. And I, I find it just interesting that these are becoming a sort of an about uh, something that is being weaved into our popular consciousness right now.
0: So there it, there for me is, is where also I begin to have issues with the movie. I think for the opening part is there, like – I love what the film is about at that point. I can see very clearly what it's, what it's doing. I think as it turns back toward the matrix and becomes a story of, we gotta, we gotta beat the new instantiation of the matrix. And it's about like uh, hooking up with what's supplanted sort of the human resistance uh, of Zion uh with 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 the with the new group that's sort of built around Io. We'll get to this in the in the summary. I find the vision of like what these conflicts are to become a little less clear to me, a little bit le- less legible of like what is why is Neil Patrick Harris an interesting villain? Like what mm-hmm. like what is he standing in for? Mm-hmm. Um and I think that sort of runs through a lot of the film where on the one hand it's the it starts off by sort of lampshading a lot of the callbacks it's doing to mm-hmm. the original trilogy. And then I think as it turns more into a straightforward uh matrixy like action adventure. That lampshading kind of backfires because what I'm increasingly watching feels like a lesser Matrix film with like lesser conceits for both the set pieces mm-hmm. and maybe not as clear an explanation of why we're doing this. What is, what is the story that, that is important to be told here. That was not like as legible to me. Now mm-hmm. here's my caveat. Like I came out of reloaded
1: mm-hmm.
0: completely flat. This, this was my reaction. Like sort of was, was completely flat to reloaded ages and ages ago. And on revisiting it, it was very clear to me what was going on. And I was like, (laughs) oh, so they're like, here was the story that they were actually interested in telling the fact that it was not a direct continuation of like where we think Neo should be left off at the end of the Matrix is not necessarily a problem. Actually, it sets the it it turns it into a great trilogy. Mm -hmm. I am totally open to the idea that either over the course of this conversation or in a couple of years time, I'm going to be like. (laughs) Fuck, man. The Matrix Resurrections is the shit and I will fight anyone who who argues the point. (laughs) Um, But at the moment, after coming out of being high as hell on the Matrix sequels and the Animatrix, which Mm -hmm. showed me like, wow, look at all the stuff you can do telling stories in and around the space. Mm -hmm. With that comparison now fresh in mind, Resurrections couldn't help but disappoint me. I think is what I, came down.
2: yeah. I think you pretty much yeah. You saw, I I'm very excited to have this conversation with you because I think it's going to be really interesting to talk through expectation and also the, the things that you just mentioned about not liking about the movie, especially in terms of its sense of spectacle in its fight scenes and fight choreography. I mean, those are complaints that I also have about aspects of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that Lana Wachowski. Lily did not want to work on this movie. Um, their, um, I think their father-
3: It specifically said, like, the, like, why would I want to revisit yeah. like those characters? Yeah. Um,
2: Lily is done. <laughs> Just doesn't want to do it. Uh, their, uh, the Wachowskis, I think their father died, passed away. They had a relative pass away. And Lana's yeah. expression of grief is to decide that Neo and Trinity are alive again. And write a story about these characters that made her feel safe- and happy being alive again. Which, as a person who's written fiction, get that. <laughs> like, absolutely, you know. Um, well, and, like, also,
3: and, like, and Rob's whole point of, yeah. like, I, I agree about, like, the messiness of the movie being, mm-hmm. like, why well, make another Matrix? Yeah. Let's go make another Matrix. Yeah. Um And, like, as a, and I'm you know, like, a metatextual work of, like, a creator struggling with the notion of revisiting a thing while also criticizing yeah. the reason to revisit it <laughs> at all, I don't think that provides absolution for, like, uh, what are like very like legitimate complaints of like um, like the uh, modern Hollywood MCUing of like mm-hmm. how you shoot action scenes with like the camera super like close up and obscuring a lot of the wide shots of like the like the Chateau scene and like mm-hmm. like Reloaded where it's like you can see everything that's happening in this scene yeah. and that's part of what makes it so impressive but I, I I especially upon like the second viewing I found myself like appreciating like d- like the, even it's faults, the things that I, I didn't yeah. care for and like why did they like why did Lana approach it this way like what does this say about like trying to create a work that is also like Lana in the studio system like you like can't separate like all like the and also it's worth like pointing out the like the road to this movie and existing is not purely just um Lana experiencing grief in her life and then wanting to revisit characters that brought, brought her happiness and she can write a happy ending for them um is that like Warner Brothers does own the rights to mm-hmm. the Matrix, but my my understanding from doing some research in this past week is that they they would the Bachasies have a right to first refusal on a sequel, and so Warner Brothers can do what they want with the franchise, but mm-hmm. that they cannot go for like they are like uh, Lana and Lily are allowed to say, well, actually, like we'd like to come on board and like we'll actually like go ahead and do this. Like I'm sure it's a little messier than that, but basically. Uh, Zach Penn, like a a writer who's done a bunch of comic films, like yeah. X-Men, some of the X-Men films and stuff like that. He's one of the reliable, like, hey, we need a, a nerd writer. This guy's pretty good, he was working on a sequel. It was often rumored to be a Michael B. Jordan prequel involving like Morpheus, which would be like a pretty like common way you would think about revisiting this without having to pick up the story after Revolutions, mm-hmm. which would be like much messier without their involvement. And at the moment it became, hey, like a a call has to be made about this film being made, that treatment went to the two of them. And then this is the point where Lana said, well, actually, okay, maybe there's something I want to say about like the fact that we're at this point where like Mm -hmm. the studio wants to revisit this work. I have a chance to come in and like write, do a $200 million film about wrestling with that decision and how you even tell those stories. And like, that's what gives- like, it, in some ways, not knowing this stuff, I think, like, robs the movie of some of its, like, emotional and cultural weight, even though I think it, it probably can be enjoyed just fine, like, absent those things. But, like, when you start adding those things on top of it, yeah. I think it makes it such a more interesting work for just how it was made and why it was made, you know, as the first 45 minutes of the movie tries to lay that out, even if you're not reading, like, variety and, like, rumors about how the studio system operates.
0: So... Before we start getting into these points, Uh I just want to give the Brief, like broad summary of sure. the film, and yeah. we can start unpacking like some of the stuff. Because mm-hmm. I think the opening of the film is directly relevant to this conversation we're ha- we're, yeah. we're having. So, yeah. Uh, just to give the the broad outlines, if you have not seen the film, because I you know a weirdly large number of the listenership <laughs> listens to things that they have not <laughs> like shows about movies that they have not seen. Uh, so, uh, more power to you. So this is this is for you here, and and also for <laughs> our purposes. Yeah. Uh, here's the here's sort of a a refresher on what happens in this film. Uh, So the film opens with a everything very similar, but also profoundly different remake of the opening sequence of the original matrix, Uh, you know, a call between hackers, a police raid gone wrong on, uh, you know, Trinity and the agent showing up, giving the sort of uh, unforgettable, no Lieutenant, your men are already dead. But this time the agents are different. Uh, It is, it is a different scene. We are observing it through the eyes of a young group of uh, like, what appear to be the the same human resistance when we saw in the original films. Character of the film. <laughs> um, bugs
2: love bugs. Love, love, love bugs. bugs. Just love bugs. That's all I'm gonna say.
0: Yep. So that is not fully explained what we are saying or what's going on because the the first act of this film we are largely going to be spending with Neo or. Mr. Anderson, uh, as he lives in the late stages of a very successful game development career uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, He is the designer of the famous Matrix trilogy. Uh, He is working on a new game called Binary, and word comes down that his parent company, uh, Warner Brothers is demanding a sequel to The Matrix, something he swore he would not make, and his boss, uh, a very smarmy, uh, you know, C-suite tech pro uh, type character played by Jonathan Groff, uh, who I guess is most notably King George in Hamilton yeah. Just fantastically
2: um, King George. Uh he's a big Broadway guy. He's yeah. been in a in Mindhunters, probably. If you're not into Broadway, that's probably what you know him from, which mm-hmm. is he plays straight in that movie, in that in that show, in a way that is camp in, in a big way. Um <laughs> and I think the Matrix has really always needed a Broadway guy, and here he is. He's Broadwaying it up. It's great. <laughs> I love him in
0: this movie. Yeah. And uh so the the thing is uh neo also has profound depression uh he is being treated for it with uh a therapist uh played by Neil Patrick Harris who is wearing bright blue bright blue glasses uh and like working and working through uh the fallout from an apparent suicide attempt. As they do cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, and Neo is also sort of haunted by the fact that uh, every day at the coffee shop he visits, he sees uh, Trinity. Uh, a But a woman he does not know in this world uh, coming by to pick up her, her daily coffee. And he yearns from her for, for, from afar. Tiffany, without please. quite knowing why. Tiffany, Tiff.
2: Yeah. Everyone calls Tiff.
0: her Tiff. 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 Oh God! The c- yeah. conclusion to that arc is
2: the, her <clears throat> face. Her face when she says, "Everyone calls me Tiff," is like a face of pain. <laughs> and
3: I understand it
0: so much. Scree- screaming through a mask. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: So his life is sort of continuing in this. Uh, we get a, we get a montage of him trying to figure out what the fuck he's going to do rebooting the Matrix. Uh, with a new staff, a new team, all arguing uh, about what his work means uh, and and what they have to sort of channel with a new work until everything is disrupted uh, by a text from Morpheus. Uh, Now, we discovered that this, we quickly discovered that this Morpheus is not Lawrence Fishburne, and crucially, is also Morpheus as sort of recreated in Neo's vision of the Matrix as a mashup, both of Agent Smith and Morpheus. And so he sort of channels both of those uh, characters and performances, and he gives Neo the, the familiar sales pitch of, we have to get out of here. All hell breaks loose. we learned that Neo's boss is Agent Smith, uh, sort of the 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 nerfed version of Asian Smith uh, in this world. And Neo is rescued from this by Bugs and the Resistance and reawakened uh, to the desert of the real and brought uh, brought out of the Matrix and brought to the new human city, Io, uh, which is not just a human city. It is a city of uh, the human and... Uh, Sentient Alliance that a lot of the machines also sort of, uh, you know, turned their coat on the uh, on the machines and have sort of joined up with the human resistance and are trying to build a shared uh, community and a shared vision. Along the way, we quickly learned this: this whole city is the sort of brainchild of uh, Niobe. Uh, who is who? Who sort of holds it out as uh, the the successor to Zion, but also the city that is going to correct the errors of of Zion's ways, uh, errors that were apparently compounded by Morpheus. Uh, we only get a vision of him in a memorial statue. It's not entirely clear, from what I can tell, what happened to him exactly. But the idea is he didn't see the world turning bad around him because he was so convinced that Neo's acts as savior were going to endure, uh that he didn't read the writing on the wall that Niobe did uh and sort of went down with whatever whatever the the old ship was of Zion while Niobe and her her group uh started uh IO Se-
3: seems to undercut the theory that the matrix online is canon um it doesn't doesn't do it entirely but i thought that it was an interesting wrinkle that it didn't uh I didn't expect him to go there was an online video game that you know but uh but it, it, it doesn't seem to match up with uh like Morpheus uh he was out there fighting like and that's how he dies in
0: in, in the yeah, game. Yeah. So. No,
2: he wasn't um, assassinated by a weird bug man this time. Around, so. <laughs> well
0: they didn't rule that out. Maybe <laughs> the weird bug man was a dissident inside Um So... What we learn is the Matrix has been rebooted. A lot of our a lot of the programs we remember from the original Matrix were deleted in a massive purge. There was a machine civil war. Uh, But now the new version of the Matrix is overseen by the successor to the architect, the analyst, who is, of course, Neil Patrick Harris. And the key to breaking this, uh, breaking this apart is going to be for uh, Neo and Trinity to reunite once again. And so they jack back in uh, to go carry out a rescue operation uh, that was designed by uh, Sati uh, from from the end of the trilogy. Hell yeah. Uh, our by, our little st- uh,
2: Priyanka Chopra Jonas. <laughs> it's just very fun. It's for all the other Desis out there listening. You get me.
0: <laughs> um. And of course, our 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 little our little sunrise program is all grown up and is now leading commando missions, conceiving and architecting commando <laughs> missions to destroy the new matrix. Uh, and the key here is that they have to they have to give Trinity the same offer that Neo received once upon a time. Do you want to stay in the matrix, uh, take the blue pill, stay with her, uh, you know, normal life with with, with her husband and kids? Or does she want to take the red pill? Um, And if she decides to stay in the Matrix, that's the ballgame. This version of the Matrix will, you know, hold together. And uh, that's that's going to be like, that will be the triumph of the Matrix. And so it all comes to a head with a uh, final conversation between uh, now Neo and Trinity uh, in that coffee shop where... She declines his offer, but Neil Neil Patrick Harris, as is his want, begins celebrating too soon, begins dancing in the end zone. But it's actually the five yard line and uh, Trinity. Her husband shows up and just calls her Tiffany one too many times. (laughs) She fucking loses it. Divor announces she wants a divorce by leading a riot that appears to kill a million cops
1: uh, (laughs) in in
0: the process of about 30 seconds. Uh, And then they have a chase through the streets of San Francisco, uh, culminating with uh, Neo and Trinity uh, being pursued onto a rooftop uh, by the police, trying to make their, their leap of faith and plummeting until Trinity Discovers that now she is the one who can fly. She she and Neo fly to safety and then fly to his therapist's house to kick his therapist's ass. Uh, and that's how therapy they, you know, works, right? My my
3: understanding. That's how you change therapists. That's how that's how you know that you're better, right? Is yeah. that you can then kick the therapist. Yeah, the ass. goal
2: is to defeat your therapist. That's what they're training you for this entire time. It's kind of like Izumi Curtis and Final and a Full Alchemist. That's how I feel. <laughs>
0: Uh, And so they they confront him. Um, He argues much as Smith did once upon a time uh, that this is what people want, that you can't you can't break people out of the Matrix uh, no matter what they do. But Neo and Trinity, uh, by God, they're going to try. They're going to show people what freedom means. And the film ends with them uh, flying off in into a dance uh, across Mm. the sky as the film ends
2: love this
4: movie
0: so uh from that first act uh yeah like like how do we how do we, how do we feel about the opening um
2: it is a shot for shot remake of the first fucking matrix movie man how
0: close is it? i did i wish i'd done the side by side because i was like gotta be a youtube video that can yeah
4: <laughs> solve that i for was you. freaking <laughs> out i was like are they just it's pretty damn close
2: it's almost identical to opening... when Once you get into it zooming into a single phone number, it becomes n- almost identical.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and up until the point where you see that it is not Trinity, it's basically the same series of shots. Um, but, I mean, things obviously change because you're hearing the voice of Bugs and her yeah. operator. Her operator who... Patrick Lewis-Austin from Time, I don't know where the fuck he works now, but he's a tech reporter. He looks and acts exactly like this guy. And it was freaking me out the (laughs) entire time I was watching this movie. It's like, why is bald black man here? (laughs) Like, why is he haunting me? Um, But it it is um, the moment of change then signals a change in perspective. Also, you begin to see the the scene itself from different angles, like through the wall. Um, I think through the wall is probably the most metaphorical shot there. Because it's like, oh, there is a wall separating the audience from the characters, the fourth wall. But what happens to all of the walls and all of the decrepit buildings in the Matrix, as we know, they get punched through. They get
1: torn down. <laughs> they shatter yeah. immediately. They, yeah. They, they, they <laughs> destroyed.
2: <laughs> yeah, they I mean. Turn, they crumble. <laughs> it is, I mean, in respect to what uh, Rob was saying before the plot summary about how this movie is, is different, I, I think a lot of it has to do with a completely a different approach to how you put a movie together. I think Speed Racer is perhaps a really good preview of how they're going to treat visual images once they get out of a highly... Like, they still do have... Wachowski still do have that highly technical, extremely detailed, extremely controlled look in Speed Racer, like the characters, the way they manipulate Emile Hirsch's body to do these incredibly smooth animation like movements is bizarre sometimes to look at. And I think a big reason why people bounced off that movie. Um, but since then, and I think you see this a lot in Sensate uh, as well, it is there. Lily's um, and Lana, sorry, Lana's filmmaking has become a lot more fluid. Uh, So you see this incredibly rigid recreation of the first Matrix movie. But then as soon as Bugs enters, you don't see... As many of those big, you are expecting, anticipating even, a big set piece fight scene, just like the one that we saw in the first Matrix movie. But Lana's way of putting visual images together is no longer so controlled. She did actually talk about this in an interview uh, many years ago where she talked about after she came out, she realized that her approach to storyboarding used to be incredibly controlled because she felt an incredible level of control in her life, trying to make her life make sense and suppress part of her herself and her identity. But once she came out, she became more excited about the idea of happy accidents, of letting the camera run and then finding the scene in the edit, about a sort of messiness towards an approach towards visual filmmaking. There's moments of montage in Speed Racer that remind me a lot of how they create Meaning through montage in the Matrix Resurrections. And you begin to see that almost immediately as soon as Bugs is just inserted into this scene, just because, you know, the fight scenes are not precise anymore. It's not, this is not that high octane Hong Kong Kung Fu style.
3: It doesn't feel like a, like you frequently watching the the fight scenes in the old uh, Matrix film felt like you were watching like a math equation. Yeah. Um, And which is probably reflective of the fact that they were storyboarded, where it was just like every swing of an arm or a kick was just so. Which allowed the camera to, like, come out and capture that in such a precise way. Mm -hmm. And that's just, like, not the case. Like, everything is just messier from top to bottom. And not even messy in the sense that, like, it's, like, bad or sloppy, but, like, it's reflective of that that change that you're talking about there that just doesn't allow for clarity. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think... The aesthetic of clarity, like, for a lot of people is, like, one of those signature elements yeah. of, like, what does it mean to, like, shoot a Matrix fight um a- across three films as a, like, very strong visual identity. And in this one, it's like you're that, – that step through the wall with bugs is reflective of, like, their own – you know, the cinematic changing of the of these filmmakers, um, in this case reflected through one of them, but you know, is certainly a joiner of like the two of them. And that I feel like that is a very jarring transition, especially the first time around, in mm-hmm. which like that 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 fueled some of my even though I like was really digging the themes and the and the story, I found myself like kind of tuning out a lot of the fight scenes because they the sloppiness Came across as like a just like a primary negative for me. It was just like, well, I can't really tell what's going on, and so I can't even tell if these fight scenes are any good because it's. I, it, whereas the old in the older films, I can very much tell, like man, my, my man Keanu, like he's doing this shit, and then like frequently in this one, it's like I don't know, half of these could be stunt people, which is just fine. Like there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong. Like and that mixture, ha- I'm sure happened plenty in the original Matrix films as well. But it just it made it so that I, I you know. Part of what works out like John Wick in the original uh, Maitre was like, oh, man, like he's doing this and like yeah. it gives so much weight to the to the scenes. But I also think, you know, and I'm sure this would be to your point, like that's not necessarily like what the the, the what these scenes are trying to communicate this time around, even if they are playing in the same World, And it comes with the weight of those expectations as well.
2: I think also most modern movie audiences uh, have an expectation of an aesthetic of clarity for action films, especially, you know, action films aren't necessarily incredibly narratively complicated, but over time, the aesthetic of just having a very straightforward story. Um, A story with no plot holes, one might say, uh, has become increasingly important to modern screen going audiences. And I I think this movie resists that temptation at every single turn. There's a lot. There is a lot of plot holes in this movie. There's some parts of this movie that don't make any sense. But I think that it's. Through watching the whole thing, you understand that creating sentiment and creating feeling has become overall more important than creating incredibly clear uh, scenes of action or, you know, fist pumping. Anything that would be described as, quote, crazy fun is just not as (laughs) less important right in this interpretation of the story.
0: I would would push back a little bit, though, in terms of like action filmmaking, I would say, if anything... Audiences have been conditioned to express, expect less clarity. Than mm-hmm. this like I think we are in An era of like visual chaos Is the aesthetic of A lot of action films plotting I think is, is different right like people really want To know like why did this happen why didn't this character Do like this like that, See all I, I, the explainers on YouTube That like mm-hmm. everyone rushes to after <laughs> People the movie explaining is the, out. the literal text of The movie here's a hidden secret about Character motivation <laughs> well in this scene This person expresses their motivation Yeah you
3: can. Se- I don't know you can Separate some of that like cultural Shift, and like yeah. how people engage with modern storytelling from like I think when you know, Kata was talking earlier, or we were talking earlier about like so of this movie is text. I think some mm-hmm. of like w- mm-hmm. what exists as subtext is like the movie acknowledging. That that element of like the audience shift in terms of like how they literally consume things like that that earlier scene where where Agita pointed out where like like the the wall is of course sort of functioning as the audience layer. And in some ways, I think that is also the the movie acknowledging like what happened to the Matrix films once they released, where it was like, well, we wrote this script, we made this movie. Boy, do we not necessarily anticipate that people were going to comb through every little thing and pick it apart and analyze it. Now, gr- granted, it has, like, subtext, but, like, the way we, like, analyze films online with, mm-hmm. like, YouTube essays and things like that were not necessarily reflective of, like, how these movies were thought they were going to be consumed, thought of, uh, like, hold up to certain levels of scrutiny. Um, And I think that's part of what that that scene is, is is kind of like commenting on is mm. is how people are doing that these days.
2: Like we forget now in the age of uh that was a slow and steady thing that was happening during the time The Matrix came out. Obviously, you know, shooting those two sequels back to back was clearly influenced by the success of Lord of the Rings, being able to shoot simultaneous, all their movies simultaneously. And to, shooting two sequels back to back would be something that Many other long franchise films would do at the time. But prior to that, there, I, sequels for a long time were maligned, considered not as good as the original. Godfather 2 being one of the first sequels that was considered to ever be as good as the original. And that is very <laughs> latent to filmmaking history, right? Um, and then you. But we now exist in a world where every new film that comes out is a part of a cinematic universe. And here, you know, this beginning of the film, and I know that Rob's just so excited to talk about the ways that this movie plays with that idea. It just is it acknowledges that, but then it immediately pushes past that expectation into a place of poking and prodding the audience. Like, why do you want this? Why do you want this? Tell us why you want this. Are you sad? Like, it asks us as the scenes are going on, like, are you satisfied by what you're seeing on screen? Like when the conversation that Bugs and her operator are having about... You know, when Trinity gets captured, where they're just like, is this the movie that we saw? Is this the story that we remember? Like, that's every time someone interacts with the Matrix, just because it was so famous and so culturally influential. You are interacting by proxy with your own memories of the Matrix. and to I come- want
3: originality, but also all the shit that I like.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: Can you do
3: that, please? Like, I would like to feel, I mean, like, so much this movie is like why are you asking us to recapture what made you so excited about the matrix yeah. in the first place? You're asking the wrong question and you're looking in the wrong place. It's just more embarrassing like,
2: you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think like,
3: and I think like that very question is like, this movie is a response to the notion of trying to recapture those feelings and, and how, like nostalgic throwbacks like, you know, this year alone, right? Like we have a space jam two and a ghostbusters afterlife. Like you have, you know, the matrix exists in, in that same sort of like canon of nostalgia. It's just the only one that like, as a core premise says, yeah, but why, like, why are we doing this? And does it in the filmmaking as opposed to like the broader analysis and like the essays that come after about the product, it actually is, is baked into the, to the work itself.
2: Yeah, I think um, so moving on from here, right after we recreate the beginning of The Matrix, we immediately like smash cut to fucking Mr. Anderson in his office. It was revealed that this was just a scene that he was playing around with in his Matrix video game code. And from there you get to the their secondary theme of like adult alienation and adult alienation from your environment begins to weave into these two things. I think once you go from here into the scene of Jonathan Groff, Telling him and like, have you ever been in a meeting where you get bad news and it's just like you no longer are able to hear any uh, bird sounds or even the hum <laughs> of the air conditioner. Have you ever
3: been in like a layoff meeting where, <laughs> yeah. like, being told like how the benefits are going to be mm-hmm. doled out? Uh-huh. Um, and, and you're just, just looking like around at the smiling. 20 people around you that are... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: well, like
2: trying not to cry and you're just trying <laughs> to focus on the words coming out so that you don't start immediately crying. Yeah, yeah. That's what that really was a very good representation of. When he says we're going to be doing a sequel to the matrix where the brother made it clear that they're going to do it with or without us. You
1: know, <laughs>
2: it just, it's just the subtext is text. <laughs> you know, the subtext is text that clearly definitely happened <laughs> to the Wachowskis, and here well, we are. And it's,
3: and it's, and that connects back to that, that earlier point where like, I think it's worth knowing about like how a movie like this ends up around because I think that is a situation where a creator is like sort of faced with, okay, You know, you could let this go, like, fine, let it, let them run the ship into the ground. Mm -hmm. And then they're given an opportunity to not just, I think what's, like, also interesting is, like, well, you know, we can't fully know what studio meddling there is or isn't here. But this movie does certainly feel as though, once again, like, they were given, or she was given a blank check, more or less, like, Mm -hmm. go make, this doesn't feel like a studio being like, please go make the the movie that we want. Mm -hmm. At least, at least, and certainly for the first hour. Um, And then... When you revisit that, like, well, here's the marketing materials. Like, what do you want to do that, like, works around that? And I don't know. I think it's just a a fascinating wrestling with the the fact that, you know, probably revisiting The Matrix is also good for Lana's career, regardless mm-hmm. of whether this movie, like, succeeds or fails. Um, It's like, it's good to revisit the thing that, like, got you skywriting success in the first place. But then how do you do that while... I guess, satisfying an audience, but then what does it mean to satisfy an audience and what is that? Is it the audience that is still with you after Cloud Atlas and Sense8 and, like, has been with you as a career? Or is it the Matrix heads um, that are looking up clips from those old movies?
0: So what's so interesting here is to a degree, like, it is possible that, uh, you know – Lana is directly saying fuck all of you uh, because in the in the montage of the it's not quite focus group, it's like creative brainstorming uh meetings that they're mm-hmm. they're doing to discuss like what would a new matrix look like. And they're arguing about like what is the matrix? Oh, it's like mind-blowing philosophical shit, man. <laughs> oh, it's bullet time. Yeah. Uh, it's like two us- all these Pardon? You want us in their
4: gray space. That guy said that so many fucking times. I what was that line like? Idea,
3: ideas are the new fuck I forget how the line ends <laughs> but like it
0: was like it an- was like another another some one. sort of like sapiosexuality yeah, yeah. Uh, like bullshit loved. ideas of the new sexy or yeah. something like that okay
2: one thing I want to say how funny is it that going to the Jeff Keighley Awards is the thing that made Neo want to fucking kill himself how <laughs> hilarious is that that makes me want to that makes me laugh so hard when I first saw this movie <sighs> I just turned to David it was like the Game Awards is what made fucking want to die I just wish
0: I wish they had the old Game Award statue um, is the, mm. one, yeah. like the goofy little yeah, like highlighter one. color? Uh, yeah, figurine. yeah, that would have that would that would have been the shit.
2: Oh, that would have been great. But, yeah, and then like also the the fact that he is a game developer, and I think um, someone at Kotaku wrote a great article about why it's video games and like what this says about the culture of video games. That it has to be a video game series, and he's not like um uh, doesn't make movies. You know, it's uh they talk about this stuff all the things that the matrix is about in incredibly st- stupid and frustrating and like eye glazing ways. Even the people in this scene that talk about it in terms of like, no, the matrix isn't bullet time. It's about, you know, the politics of transness. It's about capitalism. They come off as like YouTuber fucking video essay ass level of critical analysis. It makes you really resent them. I think what's very smart here though is that it's less the conversation they're having, which is important if you don't understand the cultural contracts in the Matrix. But the way it's shot and edited is a master, a fucking masterclass in editing. It <laughs> cuts in the middle of someone talking, you know, and does a perfect match cut to their lip movements, but they're wearing a different outfit in a different part of the scene. I think the best example of this is when. The fucking redheaded, the Irish guy comes through uh, yeah. and he descends like out of a dream into it, into the scene. <laughs> like it's so graceful. And he's saying the Matrix to me is big, dumb, loud action. You know, I didn't, I did not so revered of the first movie as you guys. I just think it's a great action movie. And to me, the Matrix sequel doesn't have to be anything but stupid action fun. But the way that he's presented is just sort of like this figure we had not yet seen in this dream. Dreamlike sequence comes through. And then every time he turns his head, it cuts to a different time of day, a different outfit he's wearing, a different position in the room. That's when I really began to engage with the rhythms of this movie, where I was like, oh, like not only is this conversation, this montage presenting to me important information about the themes this movie is gonna dive into, it's it's this is what the new matrix is. This is the matrix that Mr. You know, that Thomas Anderson is trapped in. It's the same inane conversation every fucking day. Every day. That's the thing that leads him to have a panic attack. It's just this conversation. And you can tell through the way it's shot and edited that it is happening over a period of weeks. And yeah. he wants to fucking die. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and he says nothing, right? Like he says nothing. nothing. <laughs> in this scene. No input, no commentary, no reaction. Shout outs to... Uh, Christina Ricci for being like, I'm going to show up to this movie for 45 seconds yep. for a, a killer scene. Yep. I got to go shoot some episodes of Yellow Jackets, yep. like peace out. Um, and uh, I, I I have to imagine she has some scenes on the cutting room floor, but I was like delighted to see that she was even in this film. But I do think it's it's yeah, I think the fact that Neo or Thomas uh, doesn't say anything here except to we during this montage, right? Like we're getting all these bullshitters, like, but then we're also getting these like, uh, like tonally odd scenes of like him like cutting into a steak and mm-hmm. like smiling as he like sh- shovels it into his mouth, which I think is then reflective of just like he has no grasp of his emotional mm-hmm. state or how to react to what's happening to him or the things around him because he feels completely emotionally and psychologically out of time and out of place like he mm-hmm. he knows he doesn't belong but had does not have the words to explain why which is really like it's a similar arc to the original film but he's not seeking the answer mm-hmm. right? right like or there there isn't a mode for him to find it um he just exists and has no had has no nothing else to, to grasp onto.
2: Like adult life essentially is that alienation is what they're saying, you know?
3: But he succeeded, bro, right? I mean, I think that's yeah. what it speaks to a lot. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you can have all all the trappings of success. Like he no, he doesn't have to worry about like his financial state. Like he, he can buy whatever, he can go to a therapist, right? Like, yeah. oh, you can take care of what's wrong with you. And at, at the end of the day, it can still feel rotten Yeah. and you have no idea what to still, do about it. And also yeah. you can't articulate it to other people why you feel that way.
0: Um. Because maybe even you don't know yourself.
2: You can see, like, yeah. Go ahead.
0: Well, the only, but here's something else though. I got with these scenes, just a little bit. Like generally, I love this this opening sequence, um, but there's also an element of, and I'm I'm here. For like pissed off creators Like shitting all over their fans Like my favorite reading of Prometheus Is it's Ridley Scott being like Fine you want some fucking answers about like What it all means it means nothing The mm-hmm. universe is a hostile hateful place And if you keep asking these stupid fucking yep. questions You're gonna learn things you wish you didn't yeah. So leave Here's me the fuck God.
2: Alone. He fucking hates you you are a mistake Go fuck yourself yeah, with that it's, movie
3: That's your role <laughs> but, then he, but then he made that second movie yeah. Yeah. Sort of sort of Undercuts that reading although I'm, I'm here for it. No, he's but, like
2: God hates you again, part two, bitch. Like, catch
1: gotcha the fuck <laughs> up.
0: <laughs> so, but but the the thing the thing uh, the the thing that rubs me a little bit wrong here is there's an element of it's sort of a strafing run on all the various constituencies that like really adopted the Matrix and became fans of it, and it's 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 a little bit of a um. Like, I think the fact that Morpheus isn't talking, it's like it's all these. All these damn kids, all these younger people... Uh, having their relationship with this thing and having real strong opinions about what it means and what the matrix is, and they're all fucking stupid. And you hate them, uh, and so like it's it's a incredibly misanthropic sequence in ways that I both like, but at the same time, I I think if you're going to be holding up like all these folks who have these relationships and these readings as like almost the antagonists of neo trying to enjoy his uh enjoy his success of of, of trying to maintain his own relationship with the work um it does it does sort of raise the question of like well what is okay well what is the matrix then what is it what are the answers what answers we're going to find here and i'm not sure Again, like I'm not sure that the film does have answers that are as compelling as the various readings that exist for the for the original films uh I think the sequence i think the sequence really really works uh but at the same time, like I think the underlying hostility that comes through it um, left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth uh in in part because it seemed resent like it, it seemed to resent uh the this the same audience that was sort of clamoring for this thing which i totally get but also i yeah i feel like i can
4: see and i was kind of with you when watching this the first time around and then later on in the movie we meet bugs and her team Mm-hmm. and f- to me they are actually the people who are like people who enjoyed the matrix right like they study neo's life there's that guy who has like a, what what was he a neo scholar or whatever i forget exactly what the phrase is Neoologist. we we get we get like a better version of the fanboy right.
3: from
0: is that better? revolutions
4: I think it. I think it well, uh, oh,
0: sorry, sorry. Yes, but compared to the the yes,
4: compared to the 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 people in this <laughs> montage of like the yeah. people like you know doing the super reductivist uh, like explaining of what the Matrix was to them like, and I think that it, it's important that how those uh, two separate groups are framed. Like this is framed like this whole montage is framed within the s- structure of meetings at a at a job. Right. Mm-hmm. This is about making a product. This is about distilling something down to something that you can recreate in a way that you think you're hitting, you know, the certain things that people are expecting, right? It's about people's expectations and about making a product that will meet those expectations under a capitalist model, right? It's not about analyzing a piece of work to better under- understand it and what it means to you, right? I feel like these are the different kind of things that are that happen in this movie. It's like the idea that the the people outside the people on Bug's team have studied uh, like Neo's life and what happened there to try to find meaning in their own lives where the people in these boardrooms are doing the same thing in order to make a product and like survive under capitalism.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, I think an important thing also another piece of outside context which I, I, I'm not a huge fan of always bringing this in but I think that this is such a per- personal text that there is something that is gained by learning this. So Bugs says in the movie that she's so inspired and so obsessed with Neo because she was uh, washing windows and she saw that moment where Neo almost uh, killed himself after winning a game award. (laughs) And he, she says that even though, so also in the text of this film, um, Neo doesn't look like Keanu Reeves. He looks like an old balding white man. And she saw through that deceptive programming and was able to see, actually see Neo, and Neo looked directly at her, and that is what woke her up in The Matrix. Well, Lana Wachowski also says that there was a moment where she was seriously considering taking her own life, and she was, I think, in a subway, and saw saw someone and they, it, she was about to throw herself in front of a train and she saw someone who looked at her and looked directly at her and it moved her to not kill herself in a very similar way as Bugs has woken up in the Matrix. So we are see here the difference between people who appreciate art as a corporate product, who are able to smartly talk through its themes and understand it, but also are trying to think of it as, in terms of marketing buzzwords. Yeah. And then the difference between that and people who – uh, see art as a personal experience. Uh, art is something that comes and moves them and moves through them and moves them to be different kinds of people. I think that's the distinction here. I think that yeah. also what really helps is the, the queerness of the film that like Kato has mentioned uh, a couple of times. It's it's something I think a lot about when it comes to video games and queer rap and video games where – we have a lot of stories now about people who are queer in AAA video games and the Last of Us Part 2 is about a lesbian couple and for the most part um, but what is missing is the feeling that it comes from a queer creators and comes from a queer community. Yeah. Uh, and this movie very distinctly does feel that way. One of it has to do with just like, there's a weird little like, yeah, like everybody everybody in the crew of the Nemesine looks like they are about to go to the club. All of those fits, <laughs> it's all like leather and like fishnet and they're all got their titties out. Like it. it there's that scene where one of the members of the men- Nemesine is just asked like, wow, Neil's like, older. Like, I can't believe it. Like, how does he... What do you think about this? And the other guy is like, man, I don't know what he... I, I was not know how I was gonna feel, but the whole beard is really working for
1: me. Yo, that and one, that one like, is great. And, like,
2: not only that, but there's a character... <laughs> there's a character whose his Matrix name is Berg. And... He's got this tattoo on his arm that's a series of bars. And I, I was reading Twitter one day, and someone was like, yo, that's the logo for the Burgain, this notorious queer nightclub in Berlin where people just have sex there. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, it, it is it is a movie that the queerness of the creator is weaved through every single aspect yeah. of the text. Like, I, Bugs is referred to with, by she, her pronouns once by another character, a character from The Matrix, but she's never referred to uh, using Shiro pronouns outside of that, allowing someone like mm-hmm. me to project my own experience of gender to onto her. It's it's There's something imbued in the text, even though it's not about sex or romance. And the main couple, the main romantic couple in this is a straight couple that yeah. feels like it comes from a queer person.
4: Yeah, it... I... Um, I find a lot, and like this, this kind of tracks throughout all of the Matrix movies. But I, I like to. It reminds me of this bell hooks quote about queerness and like the definition that they kind of work with in in um in general, like that they keep bringing up uh, is um uh here I have it from this this one is from Are You Still a Slave? Liberating the Black Female Body, uh, queer as not about who you're having sex with that can be a dimension of it but queer as being about the self that is at odds with everything around it and has to invent and create it and find a place to speak and thrive and to live and this idea that the kind of feeling like the world isn't right for you being about queerness not just like the idea that you know textually in the matrix it's the matrix is controlling you like there's a system of control that you d- you cannot perceive um, but also about that feeling of being in the matrix that neo is understanding being a, a feeling of queerness and i've read now i should i I could find the link of one of these articles but i've, I've read from multiple like <laughs> uh trans film critics that they the the relationship, which we can get deeper uh, that uh uh Trinity and Neo are in in this feels to them like a trans for trans relationship. Like the idea, the like intense wanting and understanding of like there's only one other person who understands me, uh, has um come up in multiple uh trans critics readings of this film as like even if they're not textually trans themselves the relationship that they're in feels like a relationship that trans people have within their own community often and being that the creator is trans it's like oh then then that is obviously what is happening here it's not just about how intense that love is which is kind of a universal way to think about it but um, I'll have to find the link for um, the specific article I I remember reading this in but apparently this has been going around in a couple of different uh, readings of it
2: I remember you saying Kado during our or our last podcast. That there is this idea of Trinity and Neo not necessarily being a romance, but this you know someone mm-hmm. falling in love with their idealized self. Right. And I feel like that read really, really, really applies here. Yeah. The desperation with which Neo does not feel complete without Trinity. Yes. Like that, that it's yearning. We've talked about this before on podcasts, <laughs> yeah. right? Yearning is the queerest emotion because you feel like you know a lot of the times when you are in a, the in a heteronormative society, you are yearning for an experience outside of that heteronormativity before you're able to sort of put a word to your to what the feeling is. Right. But before I knew what queerness was, I knew that heteronormativity did not fit me i felt alienated from my own reality in very similar ways to neo that feels alienated from his own reality here
4: i think that that is a a part of queerness that many of us experience and like that's why that's part of why it resonated with so many uh queer people even before we knew that the wachowskis were trans right Mm -hmm. um and uh i found the article that one of the articles that I, I had read about is called body talk conversations on transgender cinema um uh i'll put a link in the description to to this one where they 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 mention this specifically uh the idea that um that yearning ties in so much with uh you know trans for trans relationships uh, because mm-hmm there are so few people who understand what you've gone through, right? Mm-hmm. Who understand yeah. that particular feeling. Even if there are uh, more queer people than there are specifically trans people, like, there's still something specific to the trans experience that finding someone else who has gone through that and understands it is rare and something that you want to hold
0: on to with all of
4: your power, you know, like,
0: everything
1: you mm-hmm. have, so.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, to a point about yearning, I think one of the things that I really appreciated here is this might be the finest acting Keanu Reeves has been allowed to do even in (laughs) this (laughs) series. Yeah. This is, you know,
2: yeah. The acting, the lack is really what I said. I said the first time for the first matrix movie that he was figuring this out. Neo exists in absences here. You know, like this character is given a lot to project and portray That does not require saying any words, and Keanu is masterful. One of the best roles he's been in. Really good.
0: Yeah, Yeah, he um, like little things like. The way he's almost white knuckling his therapy sessions, uh, which are, by the way, this this film, not a fan of cognitive behavior, behavioral therapy. <laughs> um,
2: uh, Emily VanderWoof at uh, wherever she is, The Verge, Box somewhere. Vox. Yeah, Vox. she wrote a very good essay about. The treatment of therapy in this film uh, and about her experiences going through trauma therapy and how similar it is to specifically this experience. Rob, I don't know about you, but for me, those scenes with Neil Patrick Harris, who I think is he's so I like don't like him in so many things, but he's so perfect here. Yeah. It's, like, such an experience of having a bad therapist that is not actually listening to you and trying to put you through an emotional experience that is not helpful. Like, it's
1: yeah. so and accurate. And,
0: and uh, yeah, my, my partner was sort of describing uh, the sequence of the film. My partner was like, well, you know, bad CBT is basically have you considered gaslighting yourself into being happy? Yeah! Uh, <laughs> like, that's, like, that's the... the, the, the uh, be, because it's so pro- programmatic, CBT can lend itself to a lot of hack therapists, um, mm-hmm. kind of like leading you down a primrose path to to, to real no good therapeutic outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now here, the character is actually malign, right? This right. is a character who is like using the tools of therapy to further Im- imprison Neo. Uh, but both the two things that come through is like his gifts as a physical actor now manifesting in terms of small details of the way he sits in a therapist chair or those great mm-hmm. shots of his fingers like tracing the texture of his pants uh as he sits there. Trying
3: when, to when like, he's asked,
0: Do you want another refill of your
3: uh your pills? And there's a pause, and when he says, like
1: yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like
3: like there's 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 like this mixture of like the woness is still there, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not like completely gone. Like so much of that is kind of intrinsic to like how he portrays himself on screen when he's not doing like the pure like uh, like blankness that like is, is invoked in the early, uh, the first Matrix especially and like the John Wick films mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. But like there is that there, but it's, I don't know, like it's, it really worked for me in this. Whereas in the, I think in the first three films, like Carrie Ann Moss is doing all of the acting and emotional uh, weight uh lifting for this relationship. Like he carries this movie until and then when she you know, every scene she's in, like you're reminded, like boy did Hollywood like completely fuck yeah. up like what they should have done oh, with absolutely. this act. Like how out of the Matrix did she not like have like a storied career? And then you go back and look, it's like, yeah, they like between the movie came out, those
2: The Matrix and then Memento, her performance in Memento is out oh of control, God. good.
3: Oh my God. Yeah, she's extraordinary yeah. and, like, has, is basically a footnote, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is, oh, she's Trinity. And, like, that's, that's tragic. It's and, wild. and I'm glad this movie g- gives her an opportunity to, like, revisit that and remind people how powerful an actress she can be. But there was such an imbalance in that on purpose, right? Like, the, the, the movie, like, needed Keanu to be that way. Mm-hmm. And this movie, like, unlocks Keanu an opportunity to showcase, like, mm-hmm. no, like, he's, he, he, he can do a lot more here, carries it. And that, I think that what makes, like, you know, the latter half of the film so powerful is the fact, that, like, oh, shit, now they're both doing it. Yeah. Like, oh, this is delightful. Yeah, the Keanu the-
2: of the original Matrix is playing, like, Neo is like a religious sage. You know, he's a monk. And here, he has no knowledge of the religiosity of his existence. He's just trying to find his he's own Like He's also just lifetime.
3: shook. Like, yeah, like yeah, he exactly. doesn't know, like, like he's 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 depressed in a different way in, in the beginning of The Matrix. And then even when he comes out of that, it's like, well, you're the one. And he's just like, You know what? The way I'm going to (laughs) experience this is to uh, not react and uh, or do so subtly, rolling with
2: it. (laughs) It's just Ah, really like you know, he's such a Gen X guy, and like here he's an adult Gen X guy, and the ways (laughs) in which that cultural, you know, upbringing has—it's a a real character. Like we feel see now that Neo is a a fully grounded
3: or Thomas Anderson is a character, right? Like I feel like we spend so much of the Matrix as like Neo is a character that like Thomas Anderson like was a part of whereas here you feel this like fills in the other half mm-hmm. of like Thomas Anderson becomes a character. Also yeah.
0: something that comes across here is like, I feel like maybe in different eras of cinema, we were better at showing um, shy gentleness as a compelling central character. Like I'm thinking, honestly, you know what it reminds me a lot of is um, Rocky and Adrian in the, the first Rocky film. Yeah, the first one, um, because that is also a film that is sort of driven by people who like are completely closed in within themselves. Even, and even like Stallone's performance as Rocky, uh, he is a boxer. Right. But outside of the ring, he's completely awkward, bumbling, uh, you know, out of out of step character who is desperate to relate to people, but also like so clearly terrified and bewildered by them. And I think some of that comes through here where um, he, you know, we see him yearning after Trinity in the coffee shop and not fully knowing why and always sort of being half. um, Oh gosh, what was this? Uh, It'll come up later in the film, this notion of like silence, how just unbearably stimulating uh, the Matrix is. We sort of get a, get a sense of that where he's surrounded by, in these meetings, people chattering him at him about, like, what should we do with the, the, the new Matrix game? Uh, what does it mean? When he tries to escape and, like, have a brief moment of, like, uh, repose from that, he is accompanied by a nightmare personal assistant. Oh, my God. Uh, I hate this man so slash much. Slash flunky. Yeah. <laughs> who, like, again, just, like, constantly yammering at him.
2: And it's, like... And- It sucks. It's the things that he says also while being the most obnoxious person in the world where he's like, yo, your game almost made me drop out of high school. It changed my life clearly. And you just have to think about Lana and Lily hearing that over and over again from the worst fucking people in San Francisco and just how much they must have hated that for multiple decades. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Right, and then the dude's like, "Hey, check out that milf over there!"
2: Oh my god! And he uh, says, "I was raised. Oh, was- I'm a gamer. I was raised by machines, and it's just like I've met a thousand of you." I hate <laughs>
0: yeah, you. <laughs> but when he so they have their sort of awkward abortive first introduction where she has just these terrible teenagers. Uh, just her kids suck.
2: Her kids are terrible. Uh, They're always but- breaking their arms and putting shit up their nose. I hate
0: oh. it. <laughs> um, but when he has a second meeting with her, he has a second chance to talk to her. Um, the way he plays that scene where it's like, he's afraid to move too much or he'll break the spell. Like this, this conversation with her, it's, it is like, he's handling it. Like it is a delicate glass ornament. Mm. um, and you, you see it in the
4: moment where they're both like putting their coffees down on the table he's like visibly shaking like he yeah. is so nervous in that
0: moment it's like it's it's great I, like and i here again like there's a version of this film that I think I would really love, which is it fully goes into that uh, Batman animated, animated mm-hmm. series, perchance to dream direction, yeah. uh, where like the entire movie is maybe you know never even knows whether he's in the Matrix or not. The, mm-hmm. the movie just like leans into the ambiguity. Yeah, how of good his does it feel
2: to get your coffee shop au? You know,
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like here, here we are. Yeah, you and Simulate.
3: or the movie is a series of conversations that ends with them both like waking up as a result of like finding each other through these conversations. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, I see that. I see yeah. the movie. And I, I've heard this as a common refrain <laughs> of, like, with folks that don't... I mean, also... It's that, yeah, it's essentially. What? Like, because, like, those those conversations are also just, like, shot very plainly. Like, it's just... It, it, it almost comes back into... It almost feels like an interview. Like, I'm watching, like, something like The Verge shot yeah. with, like, the actors. That were, like, it's like, hey, these two are just talking. Mm-hmm. And, like, you can imagine that, like, th- these scenes on the script were maybe significantly longer and that like they just sat there like, like <laughs> vibing and talking for 15 minutes and we're just getting two minutes of it before we have to move on to I, the next beat.
0: I guess it's the brief moment where it like also caused by maybe the Sunrise trilogy in some way, yes. which like yes. yeah, they are very much so like Delp, uh, like Julie and yeah, <laughs> but like uh, Delpy and Ethan Hawke and Linklater all like each time they've done it, it's been about working together and discovering what, where these characters would be in their lives at this moment, working together. Like what is the story that is left to tell? And these scenes, seeing them sort of approach these characters from different directions and like try to get at to your point about like, who does Thomas Anderson grow up to become? If he's not awakened from the matrix, like what does his fate look like? What does unhappiness look like? Even if he has the successful career, the, the future that that Smith sort of calls out uh, in in the in that first meeting, uh, we get a, we get a little taste of it, and it's it's incredibly compelling stuff. Like in terms of performances and like meeting these characters again, uh, I think there's like the movie sets a high bar in these scenes, um, and it's it's it, it's just really terrific stuff mm-hmm. um, that I could not get enough of.
2: Yeah, I, I think part of what's really compelling here is. Uh, we are all fans of genre fiction. Uh, we all like stories about people who have powers that are beyond what reality can give us. We like speculative fiction. We like stories that take place outside of reality. In mm-hmm. many of the popular versions of these stories right now, um, specifically, I am talking about WandaVision, just so we can be <laughs> really specific. That was a story that was presented to me. And like I read the comics that it was based on. Those comics are very good, very adult, and made me feel... Uh, a lot of raised a lot of really interesting questions about uh, what it is to be a human being, what it is to be a member of society, what it is to have family and what it is to love. Uh the show presented us with this idea that Marvel stuff could go in that more mature adult direction, and in fact, we'd seen some of this stuff with Carrie Ann Moss in Daredevil. That first season of Daredevil, I think, is really, really good, and she's right, really good yeah. in it. Fuck. She's really good in it, you know. Oh, I completely <laughs> forgot um, about the thousand that. cut scene at the end. That that is just so fucking good, and she's she's a badass throughout the entirety of Daredevil even when the show starts to go completely off the rails.
1: Yeah. Um yeah.
2: and it's, you know, by the end of WandaVision, despite edging close to it and even having on-screen discussions of grief and trauma, It ends up still being a story about people throwing glowing orbs at each other. Like ultimately that is the resolution for that narrative about grief, those adult subject matter that I all of us are are kinda wait, how old are you? Thirty two. That's what I thought. Yeah, all of us are in our thirties. Um, kind of the same age as me, in fact. So, like, all of us are in our thirties. You know how it is, Kato. People have to check if I'm over thirty. Also, yeah, <laughs> you know, like
4: I've, I got you carded. know, like, people have to in 2019. Yeah, I got carded when I was. 30. I got carded Silla. in an R-rated movie one time. <laughs> like it but, you know,
2: like this, The Matrix actually discusses these themes as for adults for an adult audience, and it doesn't just turn them into visual metaphors as they are swiftly abandoned. In Emily Vanderwerf's essay, she does mention that there are a lot of stories about trauma and about grief nominally, but don't actually, like, intellectually and in an adult way, understand how you move out of that trauma. Another thing I did not really like about the resolution of Wanda, uh, WandaVision, which I think is, like, a very good first half and a very, not very good, but back half, um, is that... She Yeah, she's absolutely been through a lot of grief. She's absolutely been through a lot of trauma, this character. But she recovers her tra- from her trauma over a period of like two days. And the, the narrative is like, and she's over it. No, trauma is something that affects how you view the world for the rest of your life. You know, and these characters seem to be more deeply uh, acknowledging and expressing the trauma of their alienated existences than a lot of these other these genre fiction stories that say they are about these things, but don't actually go into them and what it means to be them. Because this is a movie helps, that is meant for adults. It helps that adults. it takes place yeah.
3: 20 years later, too, yeah. right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that that is like it, it makes me so curious to be like, what, what is it like to watch these films? I, I'm sure a lot of people are like are just catching up right Mm -hmm. watching the watching the first three and then watching this and i i I have to wonder how how it works because i I feel like so much of like what gives the power is like the physical acknowledgement that like i have also am so many years removed Mm -hmm. from these stories and revisited and like gave me a different appreciation for them but still like the passage of time gives so much and i think that's what is the difficulty with things like You know, Wandavision and other like MCU properties is like, well, no, we got to move on to the next one. Like, there's a new thing in three or four months, and uh, you know, or these days it's like three or four weeks, and it's like Mm -hmm. we just we have to compress years of emotional uh catharsis uh and, and development into a small span of span, mm-hmm. time span because there's another world ending threat around around the Yeah, corner. we
2: got to make sure that Wanda is emotionally secure for the time we get to the Multiverse of Madness, you know? So mm-hmm. this is just we're getting we're getting her get over writing the story so that when she shows up in the Multiverse of Madness, you will know why she's not traumatized anymore. When And she
0: can be back to <laughs> just being Scarlet Witch.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh,
0: exactly. Like they yeah, the the that's is going to do some stuff in the plot. Mhm. Um so all this stuff um is is terrific and then of course it all get, it's it gets sort of shredded in a spe- like in a scene where Morpheus is sort of pulling Neo out of out, out of the Matrix. Uh he re- I do love. <laughs> hey, the hold detail. on, before you
3: do that, when yeah. he when that motherfucker slides out of the bathroom the stall school. is one it. of yes. the coolest moments I have seen. In cinema, that is cinema. That is cinema. <laughs> That's what cinema uh, is, baby.
2: That's right. That's right. As
3: like as as much as I would have liked the whole gang getting back together for this film, and there's like other outside stuff we sh- we can bring in when we talk later about like Smith, about like mm-hmm. how this film arrives at the actors that, that it has. Like, boy, they picked just a cool ass motherfucker for Morpheus. <laughs> yes, they that did. like yeah.
1: that yeah. like you, I
3: don't know that there is another casting choice to like this- And I and I. And we can get into that character more mm-hmm. as, as as you're bringing him up. But I just I just wanted to not I didn't want to slide past the slide of the bathroom because yeah. like when I watched that for the second time last night, I I had to pause it, rewind, and be like, that. But I, they must <laughs> have yeah, shot that a million yeah. times, and it's Man. making me laugh
0: every time I watch it. He also, is- I have no idea this is intended, but I could not escape the sense of like this whole happening in a bathroom with a bathroom mirror. Yeah, the mirror it, like because in video game land this is like the most incredibly fraught environment in video games yes like, the yes yes, yes with the mirror yes. yeah. and that turns out to be the thing the scene hinges on <laughs> the thing that. that like we're gonna split reality open because yo this mirror isn't real this mirror isn't real. I'm- there's a
2: scene on the other side of this mirror actually <laughs> so funny
0: <laughs> well
2: yeah. crazy there's something going on on the other side of this in transparent panel <laughs> wild <laughs> I Um, yeah, the little game design jokes are very funny. Also, spotted Donald Mustard from from Epic Games in this movie. (laughs) So
3: next next to him in that scene is uh, the guy that I interviewed for the Matrix piece that I did, who was the 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 visual effects supervisor um, for the three Matrix films and is now like the CTO of Epic Games. That's Um, ridiculous.
2: That's ridiculous. That also makes a lot of sense but we'll move on I I've already said my piece about video games so we gotta we gotta yeah.
0: keep talking about this movie uh, so we get the uh, this time the escape like neo does uh, take the like be take the offer to escape but then the SWAT team show up etc his boss comes out and the gun slides to his feet and that appe- it's the um, it is the drop of blood up the shark's nose in the uh, <laughs> In Finding like, Nemo, he's yeah. so uh,
2: horny for being evil. It's just it's, like you can. Like,
0: <laughs> the way he comes out, he's like, "Oh no, this is terrible." Wait what is this? <laughs> so he picks up the gun and uh, like immediately, Mr. Anderson. Oh, <laughs> uh, and uh,
3: like, God, oh finally he... I can be my true self. Like yeah. I have been holding this in for so long. This is why he
2: needed to be a Broadway guy, right? He <laughs> needed to be acting to the fucking back row for this in order to match fucking like Hugo Weaving in this role. And but I, it's not
4: an imitation, no, right? Like yeah. no, I think yeah.
3: that is such an interesting Deliberate choice to, you evoke the -the over-the-top Hugo Weaving acting that is so defining of the Agent Smith role, and yet, and still I think, like, is in that smarmy, like, universe, like, it feels adjacent, but doesn't feel like it's chasing the, sa- mm-hmm. the same exact thing in the way that, you know, they perfectly cast somebody to literally imitate Hugo Weaving at I, a certain point in the I, first yeah. three films.
2: I love also, you get the sense, right? Because we've I've seen Jonathan Goff uh, in in pieces where he does play straight very convincingly. And he, I mean, it's like, it's very mm. easy to play it straight. I don't think it's not that very difficult. But, <laughs> like, queer people do it a lot, you yes. know? Uh, it's, uh, but it's also... Like this is not. There are some queer actors that are very happy. <laughs> People to always do it a lot. Not even
4: in. Be, not even for a job.
2: Not even for a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Like no. Neil Patrick Harris is a, as an actor that's a queer actor that has played straight that is not as convincing. I think when he plays straight as as Jonathan Goff is. He was in How I Met Your Mother as Barney Stilson this entire time, but the entire subtext there is that he's a womanizer, but it's because he's completely alienated from his own like emotional sense of self. Because, and alienizing is the thing that alienates him. And when he's
0: playing shithead, unfortunately. Like his (laughs) his range, it doesn't actually lie along straight gay or like, it's his note is smarmy shithead who mm-hmm. can manifest as a nice guy briefly yeah. that's his that's his gift yeah that's yeah. what and you know who discovered it harold and kumar, yep. harold and kumar figured <laughs> out yep. what the is the essential NPH
1: fucking role.
2: did also that movie's a part of queer Up history now cal Penn, shout out to you all the queer desies out there uh uh love that movie what a good movie we need another
0: one of those um actually he does play straight convincingly there
1: I'm
2: that <laughs> he definitely like, because I do, but it's because he's describing doing horrible things to people that he, he feels convincing. It's and it's, it's, it's the shithead thing is the thing that's consistent. I don't necessarily believe that he's a womanizer or indeed enjoys the female form, but I do believe that he treats people like shit, and that's <laughs> what makes it convincing. Here, like Jonathan Goff does, can't present as like uh, the most boring straight man in the world, and I think in Mindhunter does a really good job of that. <laughs> yeah. But I get the sense when he shows up as Mr. Anderson that like I can only imagine this man on set being like should I go as gay as possible or do you want me to tone it down and Lily was just like yeah make it as gay as possible <laughs> just be gay <laughs> Like, be very very gay I like part of me thinks there's not you Rob but there's some types of film critics and film fans that saw this movie and didn't like it and I could tell from reading the reviews, they were like, the performances are baffling and over the top. And it's like, oh, yes, you're straight. <laughs>
4: you're a straight person.
1: <laughs> and are also, interacting
2: with this as a straight person. <laughs> did you also, did you watch
3: the other Matrix I know. films? Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's the yeah, thing. It's also in those. <laughs>
1: Subtlety
4: I, is
3: not the strength of the Matrix. No. Because it's, it's not a bug.
4: It's a feature.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> I do think it does invite uh, comparisons that are always flattering with I think he does fine work here as like sort of a new take on Smith and sort of a Smith that has disguised himself, himself perfectly Mm -hmm. for what the world has sort of turned into as like a tech bro shithead thought leader. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I'm also sitting there being like, you know, Hugo, Hugo Weaving really nailed this shit. And I'm actually I'm saying I'm like, I'm not convinced I wouldn't prefer to see Hugo Weaving. Play the tech bro shithead. So and like I what thought, take so he was supposed be. to be in like, mm-hmm. like, so, yeah.
3: uh, uh, you know, the, he was supposed to be in this film, right? Like there was a scheduling, like he was doing a, a play, I think over in the UK and he tried to like to All shift the his craft. schedule along and, Classic weaving. and <laughs> it didn't, it didn't work out. He like, he's done interviews. He's like, I bent over backwards. You know, COVID has made everything very complicated. Yeah. And, I like, thought with travel. Travel made it very complicated. Yeah. Um, and it just this- it didn't work out. So I'm sure the script was probably different. You know, I'm sure it was manifestly, like, modified as a result of that. But, like, the counter to that is also, like, Lawrence Fishburne has said very, like, publicly, like, I was never approached. It was never – it's like I would have been loved to have come back. It was never a, cons- a consideration – or at least it was never entertained, you know, even privately prior to shooting that like I would be a part of, of this project, which may, which I think is like an interesting wrinkle for like,
2: mm-hmm. because Jada m- like, did come back yeah. and is right. playing the same character. And I think, never got enough credit in the original Matrix films for how good she is as Niobe and how grounding that character is in the midst of all of this rigmarole that happens. I'm not
0: sure she, I'm <laughs> sure she's lacking her in aging makeup though yeah, uh, and having her walk doubled over is like still giving Niobe her due.
2: I think I, I, Niobe shines through in that scene where she's talking about Morpheus where she says they elected him head of the council unanimously and then under her breath she goes you fucking loved that.
1: <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yes. It's like,
2: okay, yes. this is the same character. Yeah. And I also like, uh, the carry the movie did need like an old black matriarch, and I'm very glad it is Jada Pinkett Smith. Jada Pinkett Smith, another actress who needs a severe like career evaluation and career revival. I think she's always She's happy good. on her
3: talk show, though. Yeah. seems the like she's crushing it there. She's too
2: good for the red table. I I mean I agree.
3: I agree. Just I agree. Yeah. Uh, but she's you, too c- good you can't for say that. She, Let's just say you this. can't say she didn't try and find her own her own place, even if Hollywood uh, didn't find it for
0: her. Yeah, <laughs> when she took Neil aside to start like giving him the lowdown. I was like are we just going to do the red table like it's
3: like Will is there just like, why, why is Will Smith in this movie I'm here to talk about my weird sex habits
2: yeah just like coming so hard I throw up like, it's the name of this podcast now like.
3: uh, I, I thought she did I thought they, they, they were clearly echoing like in the sequence where she does the like What's up? Let's do a lore drop. Uh-huh. Time to catch you up. Um I thought they did a pretty great job of like echoing the Morpheus sequence from from the original film where it's like I think so. you just get a like all little tantalizing like lore bits of like the machine war which is like well you can definitely see the movie Warner Brothers is going to try and make if like Lana doesn't want to come back is <laughs> like that little shot of like Naomi N- like walking up on these machines fighting each other but I thought that stuff was like she sells it. I don't like the makeup of her in this film either. Oh, but like bad. Her her acting is. I, I is think it, you know the fact you're that able she can act that.
2: through it is incredibly <laughs> impressive.
4: <laughs> is it makeup? A, I, I don't, don't know, know. What, what it is, but You'll, she looks. It felt to me CG <laughs> digital. Yeah, it yeah. felt digital to me. I would guess it, it, it both, right? It, like, it, right. It, you, yeah, like, yeah.
2: But the end result is that I think you should leave sketch where he's like, I got too much shit on me, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like why'd you put all that stuff on yeah. her she looks great
1: yeah. as
2: we all know black don't crack she wouldn't have looked right, that old anyway not, she <laughs> <Like>, could have <laughs> just
1: said
3: i just look great don't i
2: yeah it's like there's a got machines. botulism I toxin like- down here so i've been injecting it gingerly into my eyebrows
3: Oh, <laughs> 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 well, they, they do, there is like a they do uh and there's there's that line that exchange between um uh naobi and neo was like you look really good. And she's like sort of frustrated. Like even though she, there's multiple lines where she says like, I'm okay with being old. I'm not frustrated. Like clearly has lived a full and gratifying life, life. but she's a little bit like fucking machines. (laughs) You looking so young
2: yeah yeah like oh it's like the white man gets to look well he's just just been
0: suspended in collagen though for
1: uh (laughs) it's just a long-term
2: collagen treatment he's just been doing a lot of masking and relaxing vibing that kind of thing uh there's some snail slime in there you know all those illegal ingredients they wouldn't sell in america
0: i miss (laughs) my snail slime face cream uh so (laughs)
2: your skin really soft (laughs)
0: Anyway. <laughs> it's nice and I think the snail didn't mind
2: I, anyway well, the research told me it doesn't hurt the snail so, so I'm trusting it yeah.
0: <laughs> so uh also when so when he does get the sort of um you know this first rescue attempt goes goes sideways he doesn't make the escape uh but he finds himself back on the roof once again thinking of uh like throwing himself off it too because deeply he feels He will not fall. He he can fly. He's the one. Uh, And this time, Bug shows up, leads him through, uh, leads him through the door into a bullet train. At this point, as he's hooking up with the young kids, uh, all I could think was, attention, Fortnite gamers, John Wick needs your help. (laughs)
1: <laughs> like I just couldn't I oh couldn't help it Or <laughs> I
0: was like <laughs> so give your credit card over to Bugs and her friends uh, because they gotta get Neo out of the matrix <laughs> um, and, they, and, and they do uh, and yeah they, they, they do take him to IO the successor to uh, Zion and they do sort of address the question we all had which is like so it's not like the machines were all bad and this was clearly a conflict that that could have been resolved other ways. The solution is we now have cool robot friends.
2: I and love them. I love them. I love
0: the their one robot that comes friends. And headbutts, Neo. Oh my the god! The floating cat robot.
1: I'm oh my like, gosh. I, think, I want And I think him. it was
3: really, it was like really, it, it, like this emotional beat hit a lot harder on on the rewatch. Was you wouldn't have been able to blame. Neo, are we calling him Thomas? And uh, are we calling him Thomas now? I'm not sure. No, like, well, he's yeah. I, like he's but he, he, in he, that world, but he's yeah, Neo. He's yeah. Neo. So, like, you wouldn't blame his reaction to seeing the the machines in there when it approaches him so so quickly to to have just been like uh, disgust, revulsion, and instead, like, he so quickly identifies like, no, this is a this is a uh, you know, I, I don't know if we're, you know, like, a, this is a creature, or you know, that, that cares for me, like, that does not mean me any harm. And there's also the, the quick beat there where they say, hey, "Hey, hey, by the way, like, we're not calling them machines, like, we're calling them sentient. Like, we've like mm-hmm. applied a new form of language, like, to to respect the fact that like machines is like this kind of like dirty derogatory term that we are like broadly applying that is not does not encompass the world uh, that we yeah. live in now. And I just thought that like that little exchange between the two of them is so quick, um, but. Is so telling about Neo as as a character that is probably in, in some ways like a carryover of that little experience he has going to sacrifice himself, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. the, the realization that oh, like there's a lot more here. Um, not not no, I am not surrounded by enemies. I am surrounded by two societies that are warring for reasons they don't fully understand. And some I, of these I'm, guys are just little guys. Yeah. Some just guys guys are, he, he look does look a fist bump.
2: I absolutely love the way that they complicate the machine war narrative. I I think that it is a fitting way to include some of the extra textual narrative aspects of the original Matrix series without drawing direct reference from them. but. Having the most, you know, I watched the Animatrix like oh, a couple of weeks right before the Matrix Resurrections came out. Mm-hmm. And so from there, I was so willing to accept immediately that some machines don't want to take place in a forever war, you know, because the, the Animatrix, especially the second renaissance, shows us how war also damns the machines to hell and war ruins the machine society. And I mean, uh Niobe says it in this in this scene, you know, remember how quiet it is? Can't you feel the silence here in the real world? The Matrix puts your fills your head with noise. You know what else fills your head with noise? War. And it's like how do we bring the perpetual unhappiness of the Matrix into the real world by continuously stoking conflict, by being in a never-ending war and engaging with that? And it, it really, like, this is where it, it is asking fans of the original Matrix films, and, like, not asking, telling them. Just, like, you, the thing that you're invested in and the machines being evil doesn't fucking matter anymore. It's been 60 years. It's been 60 years. Zion is gone.
4: It's well, also, not here. <laughs> yeah. And those seeds were planted in the, in the Matrix sequels, right? Like, the characters yeah. like the Oracle and Sati and, like, the other programs that are sentient that are just living a life mm-hmm. within the Matrix were already, like, oh, look, it's not a blanket us versus them situation in this world right like this is about how societies clash and how violence is perpetuated in a cycle instead mm-hmm. of ever being broken and what we could maybe do to start working towards breaking that and I think this, also the
0: oh, yeah right,
4: go on i was going to say and this film says that part of breaking that has to be a, an actual you know reconciliation of the societies <laughs>
0: Um, and part of the reconciliation is being played out by, uh, like what can the humans and machines build together, mm-hmm, um, yeah. there. And and I guess the film begins to flirt with, um, maybe even a bit of techno utopianism in some ways, which is like the sentients are coming to help the humans rebuild, but also they're using some of the tools and techniques of the matrix to make this world more, more hospitable feeling, right? Like, uh, you know, if we think about the big deal that's made of the, um, the dead uh lifeless sky of the matrix, Io has a very convincing uh like synthetic sky overhead. But this synthetic sky brings life. It does the things that a real sky does. Uh, it, it, it can in in a nascent stage begin growing crops and, and things like that. It's a the
2: sky. You know? Yeah.
0: Wild. Um, right. And and so like they're they're getting it like as this sort of Pieces being worked out uh like they're starting to like achieve some of the positive possibilities that sort of the Smith alludes to, right that there were like to a degree machines were okay uh like reaching some settlement with the humans where they worked together and allowed each other space to like live more idyllic lives. And the solution that didn't prove workable, so the, the solution was a very convincing dystopia. Uh, here, they're trying to build more of a utopia, like in the real world. Uh, but, but sort of.
3: But I love the fact that the movie doesn't. It complicates even the decisions that Naobi and Io, as a sort of society, makes. Which is, and this is like this is brought up by by Bugs, like pointing out, like, well, yeah, but you also gave up on everybody yep. else. Like in order to yes. build Io, you said fuck all the people that we can't get out of the matrix. Like they want to live their little uh, blue pill lives. Like we're going to let them. And so I just, we're just going to grow our crops. We're just going to grow. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to grow. Aren't these strawberries beautiful? And they are, but it's like, what, what, was the point of all this? If it's just, well, we got ours, we got out, we're building a world, but like, ah, the rest of them could rot and, and and be uh, have their emotions manipulated for electricity. And like, I'm not saying that like, that isn't like a reasonable, like, you know, uh, we, we don't see 60 years of of like her sacrifices to build this. But I did like that mm-hmm. like a less complicated film would have been like, of course we had to do this. And it's like, well, no, like every decision comes with trade-offs and like building IO, it may have been a worthy trade-off. Maybe you don't get IO without saying, <laughs> sorry, like this is what we, we have and we're going to have to work from here. Um, but I think I liked that that little extra little layer of like, well at a certain point maybe that was true that you had to make that sacrifice to build this and then at a certain point it became convenient to keep believing that truth so that you could just kind of live in the bubble that you've made for yourself because it feels safe.
0: Um so to crack out of that bubble they've got a they got a spring trinity from her uh from her pod and the first the first attempt to do that they they go in to to catch her at her custom motorcycle shop. Uh, because because Trinity is a cool motorcycle mom uh who, who builds who builds custom bikes. And we get oh okay, small thing that kind of bugs me here. I don't have any sense of the new rules that govern the Matrix. This this like Bug says we we don't use uh phone booths or anything like that. All well and good, but I'm sitting there, I'm like, I don't understand, like, what the rules are for, like, where you can go and how things connect in this world, which, like, kept me from getting into some of these scenes because, like, in The Matrix, it's always, like, you know where they're trying to escape to, you know what Mm -hmm. safety looks like, you know what it looks like when you're in deep shit. Here, the rules seem more fungible in a way that, like, I had a harder time... Figuring out like where is the suspense coming from here? Like, are they? I trapped? felt like we were missing a scene anywhere? in
1: between
3: mm-hmm. Bugs saying uh, at the end of that, like, f- before they go to Trini and they have the we we have the reintroduction of the, the Merovingian um, as a. This <laughs> is where I was going. <laughs> yeah, I love. Yeah, Mero- but like, but I think what you're <laughs> speaking to is like, like <clears throat> we we can get to that part and, and dissect it, but like the sequence where like Bugs is like, "Hey, it's too dangerous. We can't do this." and 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 neo like i got to go do this now and it just cuts to well he made it to the shop and it almost feels like there should have been some sort
0: of chase yeah. at some I point i can only get like- you into this hotel that right. has an adjoining connecting door to the warehouse where the shop is i'm like i guess, we could have just done that then i don't see where the
2: yeah, what the issue is? This is the one place where that A to B to C storytelling does not really come through. Where it feels a little yeah. bit more like the index card thing that I mentioned from the two sequels. But it does feel like something was cut right here.
3: It, and- does. it feels so. It feels so, like it's already a two and a half hour movie. And yeah. It just feels like ah, uh, like whatever that sequence was just isn't like it. Just it's so obviously like a glaring hole in a movie that yes has plot holes for the sake of emotions and love, but this one just felt like. She just said it's dangerous and then we're just like skipping past the the, the I feel
2: like they're relying on the breeziness of the plot and the breeziness of the scenes to sort of like have your brain pass over, but I can see viewers like Rob definitely are not gonna pass over things like that. I did. I didn't think about this at all when I watched this movie the first time. I was just like, I need to get them to be together. I (laughs) need him to go to the shop. And it it, it didn't necessarily matter to me the logistics of it. But because the Matrix sets up this expectation that the world will make total logical sense, (laughs) there's an expectation that is here also.
0: It's that these scenes require some sort of logical sense for me to be invested in them. Like Mm -hmm. this whole fight. In this weird backstage area that they end up in, where the Merv comes out, I think part of it is, it's like, well, y'all could just leave. Like, there's there's no stakes to it because like, it, it the the now part of this is is not just because of like the the shaky work establishing the conceit of like how yeah. you can enter and leave spaces. Part of it is also yeah. this sequence kind of sucks. Like the like the Merovingian feels like they got him booked on a different shooting day. And so he is shot like he is shot up in the catwalk of this like backstage area, like just yelling into the camera, being doing like, his best green goblin impression.
2: I love this little stupid monologue you only hear snippets of him saying, Oh, in this French accent. Which, by the way, this actor is French-English, dual citizenship, has done movies in English and in French, but apparently trained for a very long time to lose his French accent, and now his most known role is one where he does a stupid accent, and he has to do it again! He had to do it again! And he seems to have gotten
0: worse at it. Where I'm yeah. like, is he... Oh,
2: beep-beep. We used to have conversations, now it's just beep-beep-beep.
0: <laughs> if you <laughs> told
3: laugh, me, was, if you told me he was an like an English actor doing a bad French accent, and, like, that's... I find it genuinely shocking to learn that he's, like, like like,
2: like, like a, a French person. French yeah. Yes. Yeah, because this French accent is cartoonish. It is right. it is really, really well, accurate, is it. but is exaggerated to a degree that it sounds like Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> like.
4: Yeah. That's the issue. You got rid of the accent when speaking English, but still speaks French fluently. Like there are parts of that yeah. sequence where he's just like fast-firing French off in the way that only, like, a really, Only really the French can truly do. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: it's, uh, I understand the narrative purpose and the metatextual purpose of this scene, but I agree that it's weak for me. And it's, like, the scene that my brain just glosses over by memory of this movie. Yeah. I remember that the scene happens, but I don't remember how it hooks into any parts of the plot. And it's, uh, the, you know... I
0: don't think the fight carries its weight. Like, the scene could be redeemed if, like, if the fight is good enough no one gives a shit why mm-hmm. the fight broke out you're just like mm-hmm. cool fight
1: mm-hmm. Here
0: he's like fly monkeys fly <laughs> and all these like fucking random grab bag extras begin like descending from the rafters on the on the group
2: it really is like they're being attacked by a large crowd of unhoused people which is very strange <laughs>
0: like it's it's it- really weird. And then, like, because this film is th- this film is just not interested in being a martial arts film or martial arts adjacent the way, like, the original films were, um, this entire sequence is going to be, like, it's going to be a flurry of, like, blows being exchanged. But, like, there won't be, like, for me, I just, there, there was very little in terms of uh, cool spectacle to engage with. If like, I compare it to, like, any time The Matrix would try to ambush the group in, uh, like, the original film. Right? Where mm-hmm. it's like, they're all badasses and they can all do like incredible, uh, you know, incredible moves in fights. Here it's it's much more just a um Yeah, it, it's it like a bit more of a visual chaos where like the fight wasn't particularly involving. Uh and really its main point is to get um Smith and Neo to rekindle their uh their feud, uh, as it were, and sort of for them to start doing some of the, the some of the old moves uh, that we do remember, like flying at each other and <laughs> punching each other in the face and whipping across rooms.
2: This movie really is just about two evil gay guys that are mad that Neo doesn't love them the most. Like, <laughs> 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 it's just uh, truly. <laughs> two evil gay guys fighting over someone that doesn't care. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, I... It's it's because, for me, what makes this whole movie work, despite the lack of visual spectacle, because I agree there's one scene in particular that I think is a visual image that will last with me for the rest of my life in the same way that some of the sequences from the Matrix, the original Matrix, are visual images that will last with me for the rest of my life, but there's a lot less of that here. Um, no, there's two specific things that I think are just like, okay, this is a filmmaker that is absolutely at the height of their craft. Like, holy shit. You know, um, but... They're not in the fight scenes. And I think that's just because the sense of visual spectacle has shifted from punching and kicking to a visual depiction of love. The thing that we are, you know, the thing you latched on with the earlier scenes between Neo and Trinity in the coffee shop. I mean, one, it is just exactly the coffee shop that you wanted. And two, (laughs) it, it is, there's the, the spectacle there is how much you can feel their love, how much you feel that love is real, how much you need them to be together and to feel love. And that is where the sense of spectacle for me derives from this movie. And those images that I'm talking about that we'll talk about in a minute, those are the ones where Lana Wachowski is trying to visually show what it means to love someone. And so I just feel like the passion isn't there in the fight scenes anymore. Like it's that's not conflict is something that Lana Wachowski is deep, like deconstructing in terms of what is meant to the Matrix. You know, eventually when we learn what in, in this very next scene where the analyst kind of gives us just, you know, the blow by blow of what powers this new Matrix, we understand that the real enemy here is a perpetual and unending conflict that can only be disrupted through true love. Essentially like a sort of Snow White story, you know, where he's her, the prince come to wake her from a horrible dream. Uh, I think this next scene also, this has the next scene where she does go and see is um, the analyst in this warehouse thing. Uh, Does anyone else have a concluding thoughts on the Merovingian
3: well, so, I do. The, the one thing I will say is like I, uh, and especially on the rewatch, I, you know, the, the whole the whole with the like random like purged like Merovingian like none of that stuff kind of worked for me. But like the the scene the the sequence between Smith and Neo worked better for me at the second time, especially in the sense that I w- when you look at Neo doesn't look very cool. Mm-hmm. Like he sucks at this. Mm-hmm. Like and it, and it's not and like it's not that he's just getting his ass beat, but it's also just it's it's the fact that he's older. It's not just that he doesn't, like, remember, like, I know Kung Fu sort of thing. It is just, like, he's tired. Like, yes. he just wants to be with the person that he loves. And it's he's like, do I really have to go through this shit again? And so, even though, like, it doesn't have as many memorable sequences, like, the one that, like, you know, the, the one where he just, like, channels all his power and, like, like kicks off the wall twice to push uh, Smith's ass back, like... I felt the weight of that a lot in those scenes. I think that stuff works. It's almost like to the detriment that it's being counter. It's being cut with the sequence that's happening mm-hmm. on the on the stairs. Like if it was just like, "Hey, we know that's happening. Do you want to see like one or two sequences of bugs like being cool as shit?" That's fine. Like her hair is blue and it looks cool as hell. It's mm-hmm. like <laughs> I'm fine with that. But it, I think it would have been better suited to have just concentrated on those two. Um, because I feel like the emotional weight that's happening there is powerful enough to outweigh whatever stylish flourishes it it lacks because the movie is uninterested in that as much. Um and I found the second time around where it's like, I know I'm not going to be surprised by like what this movie is doing in its film in its like cinematography for the fighting. I was able to just then spend more time like looking at Keanu's face and like what he's going through in that scene. And I found like that like lifted of the expectations of like what do I think I want from this movie or like what I'm supposed to get out of a fight scene. I found myself like much more into emotionally what it was conveying. Because the, and that leads directly into Gita's point yeah. about this next scene of like that that part all while also explaining what this new Matrix is powered by is also explaining to you what this new Matrix movie and and Lana's and Lily's filmmaking is powered by, which is like emotions mm-hmm. like love and like where that takes you in the highs of lows of that mm-hmm. um, both in as, as people, but also in like filmmaking. Yeah. Um, and, and that, yeah, that, that, that finally brings us to him walking in the door to see her being a, a total badass while she's like working on a bike.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, Karo, I wanted to ask you actually for the sequence. So do they walk into the room? She's working on the bike. But then, oh no, the analyst shows up, reveals his motivations, he's a true villain. What did you feel about the mixed frame rate stuff in this movie? Because I haven't actually been able to figure out how I feel about it, and I wondered if you had any thoughts. I mean,
4: personally, I kind of, I mean, I enjoyed it, because like, the, you, when they like did the whole bullet time thing, and like, mm-hmm. you, everyone's seen the bullet time rig once for mm-hmm. that shot, right? Yeah. Like, the fucking billion cameras that are happening in that shot, and, um they they don't uh they, they've composited this differently but something about um how smoothly the 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 matrix looks with uh the analysts like kind of jumping and jittering around because he's uh learned he, they've basically taken yeah they've taken back that that thing that neo was doing to break it and make it a rule and like mm-hmm. him being able to like the the analyst being off i think makes makes a lot of sense to me, and I really like you could tell that they were shot at different speeds right Yes. like yeah that's the, that's the big thing is that it is still two different forms of it's not that one like how do i say like it, like it's like maybe this, the this first is time... two this is two shots composited yeah. and not like cg being applied to something is what i'm trying to say which is why i enjoyed the fact that the the frame like difference is visible in them in that way it's like they're showing us the artifacts of what slowing or speeding up things in film looks like right that artifice is there but it's not it's not like you could have made him walk around and be Totally smooth and normal, and walking at his own speed. But the point is not that. The point is that this is art. This is an artifice, but it's still like you know. The, here's what these two. The, here's how these two things are separate. And so, I like. I personally really love the frame skipping. I love the choice to just shoot it that way instead of mm-hmm. making it like too like one really slowed down Neo and one like normal, normal uh, uh, speed, uh, Neo Patrick Harris walking through that scene, right? Yeah. I feel like that would I've, have made it completely flat to me.
2: Talking about this with you, yeah, it kind of, it, it is giving me an avenue to like it a little more. The look, I feel like, does not yeah. necessarily come together. How did it look in theaters? Did On a small screen? It it looks like there's something like I did a setting wrong on my television. Yeah, like I like you know? I have like, like the
3: motion smoothing on, yeah, or, or something. Right. It's not yeah. that's not exactly analogous, but it but it like it's one of those things where like Escardo explains it. I'm like I see what they were going for, but I think I still settle on like I don't think it achieved. It, it didn't. W- it didn't work for I, me. Think I, more obvious, I think it's a little you know? too
1: like
4: <laughs> because of because of the way people read image right mm-hmm. like. Like We've we been trained to
2: read image as coming at 24 frames per second, to be really right. specific here. And this is, you know, they've they shot Neil Patrick that. Harris at a much higher frame rate. There's more frames per second of him moving.
4: Um, yeah. Other way around, I think, actually. Oh, Neo blah, blah, has more I'm frames wrong. and yeah. uh, Neil Patrick Harris has less. Okay. And to me, I see the trick that you're doing by changing the film speed, the, the, the recording speed, the uh, shutter speed in this right to separate those two different uh modes of traveling through time uh to literalize that but i yes like people who don't understand the mechanics of that are probably might just like miss out on the that being like oh this is why he looks weird <laughs> in this yeah. scene it's like I oh just i wish I, I had
2: not seen it on my television where i can it only see yeah. yeah that i can on television on this is why i always Get really annoyed when people are like, "Oh, if, Marvel, if if Disney buys all the movie theaters, and you can only see Disney movies in theaters, it'll be fine. Everything cool will come to streaming." And it's like, "Well, these it's are still pieces the of same. art.
4: Yeah.
2: They're like designed to be seen in a specific context, and we are seeing them in a lesser context when we see them at our homes. It is more convenient, and it is really more. It makes film more accessible, and I think it's overall good that more stuff is coming to streaming. But that was this is one of the perfect examples of just like." This I want to see this on a bigger screen because I don't feel like I'm getting the full impact of this.
0: Yeah, and, I don't know that a bigger screen is gonna do a lot for this. Well, for this it's not story, just though. bigger;
4: it's it's reflection too, right? I think there's yeah. a lot of this movie, especially that show that shown out like differently on a screen with like. I mean, I have a pretty alright. I'm sure, like if you get super high end like OLED with the right type of uh, HDR on it, you could. T- start to get there but the way mm-hmm. that the the theater which i had i went to a theater with good projection luckily mm-hmm. i know this isn't true actually of every theater in the states these days
1: some and of like them a will lot of have a bad problem states.
2: but yeah, the one are, i went to had, had a digital good digital projection or they're yeah. just like shitty theaters i've been to a dozens of really terrible right. theaters you know
4: but no with no a good projection
0: maintained in like 15 years yeah, yeah. <laughs>
4: With a good projection, a lot of the lighting feels very different watching it on screen than yeah. when I watched it in the theater. A lot of the dark and light play, like the contrast here, like felt more dramatic and more purposeful than it does when when I watched it a second time at at home. And I I think that kind of helped the visuals of the movie in in totality. But like, it's just like one of those problems where like I I care because I was on like in high school i was the cyn- i like took a cyn- like cinematography courses <laughs>
1: like yeah, yeah. that was
4: my wheelhouse but i don't know that a lot of other people will care but i do think it does make a difference in the way you intake those images yeah, um, probably when
2: light yeah. is actually passing through celluloid, I have a much stronger awareness of the fact that there are frames. You know, like I, yeah. I, I feel like, or even
4: just the fact that it's light being bounced off of a a surface back to you, rather than yeah. it being emitted out, emitted, including in the yeah. blacks, right?
2: Yeah, I feel like something really was diminished just by the format I was watching it in. I, I just, just because I didn't think, you know, people who saw The Hobbit at sixty frames per second in theater said that in the theater. You do kind get, of get used to it after a while. You understand the rhythms of it, and it didn't look or feel the same in a smaller screen size, no. and I, I, <laughs> or or not projected. And that is what I feel like is missing from the sequence for me. Is like I feel like I just seeing it in a lesser format that can't necessarily translate the thing that it's doing on celluloid. You know, when you transfer films from one from one from celluloid to a digital, it it will. Change things about the film. There's, it is not a hundred percent real recreation of that, and it's you know likely they shot this on film, and then that film was scanned, and then they edited it digitally, and then reprinted it back to celluloid. But that still means that it was designed to be seen on celluloid, and is intended to be seen on celluloid, and is also intended to be seen in a specific format in a specific viewing conditions. You know, I think I actually we we turned off the lights in my entire apartment to watch this, Mm -hmm. and. We, we like made snacks and tried to make it feel like a movie theater because we were both very depressed. I about did not, it and not allow to myself out. to
0: pause. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I turned yeah. out all the lights and I was like. I'm not going to pause it.
2: <laughs> yeah. But, you know, even there, what I was really wanted was to be in the theater with other people and to be feeling the energy of their reactions as well. You know, like some part of the joys of the movies for me is being in a journey of discovery or a narrative journey with other people and sharing that experience with them. And I feel like there's just nothing that can ever replicate that in a home viewing experience. And I I mean, go look, like whatever you
3: feel about like the the new Spider-Man movie, like that's like fueling why it's such a enormous thing is like people like, oh shit, like I don't want to be spoiled. I, these big reveals that are having this movie. I want to I want to be there with other mm-hmm. people. I'm going to risk time to get getting my COVID, an yeah. infectious disease, <laughs> yeah. because I and, uh, because I want to be there in a crowd when everyone is screaming when X Y Z you know appears on the screen, and like you know, I, I there's a similar feeling of like wanting to have experienced that with with the Matrix. I mean, I, there's a, some caveat is like. This film for a whole year has been scheduled to come out. Primarily, understood that it will be seen streaming, and so I look like Lana should do whatever the hell Lana wants and like ma- ma- make the film. If it was meant to be seen on a film, uh, you know, in a theater like great projection, like that's great. But like, it has been understood for a full year. That mm-hmm. The vast majority of people were going to see this on their like TVs at home, and so I, I, the vast majority of people I think are unfortunately, including myself, like come out of that scene going like, it looks.
0: Like someone's shaking the camera. Yeah, it looks, looks weird.
2: It looks weird. Yeah. <laughs> if we're gonna have
0: our hi-fi weird. happy hour, though, here's yeah. my thing. Uh, for the love of God, let people like like games do. Yeah. In a lot of games, option settings you have a choice. What sound mode do you want to be in? Do you want a like high dynamic range for like full size for for full size uh, like speakers? Do you want a headphone mix uh, if you're listening to this on headphones, or do you want something for like TV speakers or a sound bar? Please, streaming services, yeah. start letting people have that option. This is <laughs> not a particularly God. bad mix. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I watched um, Let There Be Carnage a couple weeks ago on uh, on streaming. Mm-hmm. That is such a compressed mix. What I mean by that is they have normalized the volume so that the movie never gets loud and never gets quiet the quiet sequences come up to a level and the loud sequences come down to that level and it plays out of the same volume. And so this solves the problem of like people like writing the volume to like hear dialogue versus like action sequences. And that is a problem uh, like with, with a lot of mixes, but I was stunned where if you compress it far enough, it sounds so weird when like all hell's breaking loose and you realize things don't seem loud, (laughs) nor do they seem clear. Anymore because everything's mm-hmm. sort of being crushed down. So, like, mm-hmm. an explosion is being forced down to the same volume level as, uh you know, a character talking while like bullets are flying all around. Like, a it shitty, sounds compressed
2: really weird MP3. Yeah. You know, this, doesn't, yeah,
0: this doesn't do it as badly, but there were moments where I'm like, it feels like having just seen the original films where I think they left the mix largely intact.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, there were moments where I was like, "It feels like some of this stuff should be punchier than it is, and it's not coming through." Uh, for me, that was the that was the big thing. Whereas, like, I feel like theater theatrical mixes are different than like the streaming mi- mixes. Mm-hmm. I, this is a fact. Like, this is it happening. Is a fact. Yes, yeah. Like, one of the big questions is like what mix ends up being final on disc, right? And mm-hmm. like people are losing their mind because like they're starting to be just like compressing by default for for mixes so you can't really ever hear a good theatrical mix uh at home but there was there was a bit of that less offensive but for me like more than the um like looked great on my tv and all that but there were just a few places where i was like the presence the the imposing nature of a theatrical experience where like it's gonna get loud mm-hmm. now, and like mm-hmm. it's gonna become this all-encompassing experience, and then you're going to be relieved from that. It's gonna quiet down, and you will, you know, you'll be able to tune back in on characters. That's kind of lost here, and you notice it more in part maybe because it's a film about like overstimulation via noise versus like when things quiet down, and you sort of like encounter your thoughts and yourself again. That that's missing uh, a little bit here.
2: Yeah. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. I feel like that is another another aspect of the cinematic experience that just can't be replicated at home just because well, of, we don't have the tools. It could
0: be, <laughs> but we do have the tools. Just give us a little menu option. Yeah. Can, yes, the tools. I can change the, the spoken <laughs> language in, in any movie. Just give me different mixes. I think people are smart enough to know, like, I know what setup I've got. Just Just give people choice. The mixes already exist. People yeah. did this work
2: yeah you're a hundred percent right, dude you're a hundred percent fucking right <laughs>
0: uh so and in you know in my in my dictatorship to come when uh the state provides you with your with your plex server uh those mixes will all be there so that all may choose uh their own theatrical experience um what do we think of the actual like text of the scene where like the analyst lays out his plot uh in terms of like so why have they been keeping Trinity and Ma- and and Neo, uh, in the goo uh, near each other? Why have they been suspended?
2: I, I love so the the essence. In essence, the, what this character who's named the Analyst is sort of a, a famous a successor program to the Architect. He says, "I've crunched the numbers. I've looked at all the analytics." And what produces the most power for the matrix is actually the torture you guys feel from being close to each other, but not actually being able to be close with each other. You know, so many people have left the matrix now, and our stalemate that we are not producing enough power. So what I've done is devised a way to have you guys always be in orbit, but never have your 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 needs resolved. And not, I feel like this conversation, this monologue worked for me in two ways. One. It it is saying something general about our all our lives in a way where we are feeling a sense of dissatisfaction right now because we are feeling like we are in a set. We are always experiencing conflict 24 hours a day. And it really doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you're on. That definitely does define a lot of American life. if you just look at our 24 hour news cycle, that news You know, news stories, as a journalist, I know this. They are based on conflict. Good stories are based on conflict. And, you know, being a person that is confronted with stories of conflict all the time can really make you feel alienated, can make you feel anxious, can make you feel despondent, can make you incredibly depressed. Um, But what also this is saying about the people who wanted the Matrix to come back and who want more stories about Neo and Trinity is like, what do you want for these characters? do you really want to watch them suffer again? Like, do you want these two people to be separated from each other and have to come back to it and experience the trauma of separation and then come back together? Is that actually going to make you happy? Like, I, I think that, that this this conversation is, is also, a, like, about the text of the Matrix and the fandom of the Matrix specifically. And it's like Neo and Trinity in Revolutions – died and at least like died for a cause and died knowing they were in love with each other. What is the point of resurrecting them? They had a happy ending. It's a lot like Buffy come from season five to season six where season six, her whole thing is like, Oh wait, last season I died and went to heaven and now I'm back on earth. Like, fuck this. <laughs> I don't like it at all. Um, Here. Yeah. I think there is like a sort of a fandom desire to see our characters we like perpetually in conflict. Actually today, um, a critic for the New York magazine, Andrew Long Chu, just wrote a really, really good critical essay about the works of this novelist, uh, Hanya Yanagihara, who wrote this critically acclaimed book called A Little Life, which is about a gay man named Jude and his uh, series of close friends from college that watches. He sort of descends into his own depression over the series of the novel and commits violence against himself uh, repeatedly and has violence enacted upon him repeatedly and andrea long describes the relationship between author and character there as being one of the, that's closer to munchausen by proxy than it is sort of building a story or building a narrative where it's like why are we keeping this character jude alive and both miserable and in pain what is the point of this what is the point of doing that And in The Matrix, in this movie, the point of doing that is to feed a corporate machine, to power something that has no care at all for the pain and alienation of these characters. The analyst, I think, is a really apt name for this character because it describes uh, uh, something that is currently happening in the world of tech where people's desires are quantified down into numbers. And then they are shown advertisements and introduced into communities and websites that manipulate these desires until they are perpetually in a state of conflict. I mean, we, all of us hate Twitter. (laughs) We experience (laughs) this all the time. Um, And that also, I think is just like a relationship between the characters in fiction and in their creators uh the the zach penn version of this movie would have also placed neo and trinity in proximity to each other without being able to resolve that but this movie decides no we're going to actually allow them to be happy the important thing here is allowing these characters to be happy
3: yeah and it's like you know it's 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 a sequence in which it wrestles with like, what is legacy? Like, and, and mm-hmm. I think it's like a creator figuring out like, what, I don't, I don't, I, you know, when your legacy is written and then is put into the public sphere as art, corporate art. And then is, be, is be, sort of becomes your own in a sense of like, well, I have this thing called a right of first refusal. Uh, you <laughs> know, like I think like, what does that mean? Like, what am I refusing? Like, what do I have a right to? And then what are the rights of like the fandom? And, and I, I think that's what makes that sequence so interesting because I think it lays bare sort of like, you know, who knows, like there will be another Matrix film, right? I don't know who will be involved. I don't know who will who will make it. I don't know what it'll have to say. But I think part of what makes that scene so striking is uh for a series that like dances between text and subtext and like bashing you over the head with its themes and emotions and also like hiding that behind like complicated metaphors, like that that sequence, which is also the, you know, what the architect serves as the analyst serves as like, OK, right. Like, all right, we're all here. Right. So what are, what are we talking about? And the analyst does, I think, this whereas it's less of a lore dump, um, even though it functions as a way of explaining how the this new matrix like works itself. It is also just like the culmination of an evolution of filmmakers. It's like this is what we were kind of accidentally wrestling with. Working out ourselves, our filmmaking, what we found important, this is where we've arrived. And even though Lily isn't here, it still absolutely echoes like what 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 these creators have been doing in their work as, as a partnership and, and now as solo creators. And it's finally just like, this is it. Like, this is what we've been doing. Like, this is what's important to us. Like, this is what the Matrix is what else can we do? I like, there is nothing else we can do about this. Like this is our, our kind of like final stamp on it. Um, and I, I found that to be like really interesting and beautiful. It's like, it's like the opposite of like the, the, the first 45 minutes where there, it's like a very cynical corporate take on like, what is the matrix? And then at the end is like a similar sequence. And like, well, we're going to tell you what the matrix is and what it, what it means to us. And then we're going to show how much it means to these two characters. Uh,
0: Neo is given sort of one last chance to sort of bring Trinity out of this. Um, and that is by giving her the direct choice uh, in this scene that she's had like premonitions of, of them meeting back at their coffee shop, surrounded by an army of police. Uh, and like this sort of leads us to the spectacular showdown and the the extended, the film's uh, most extended action sequence. Um and I'm curious how all this landed for you as well. I I really liked the sequence. One thing that like
3: it made me I'm reminded of as we revisit the sequence is that um, you know we see uh Tiff you know has a family has kids and like the one of the final lines of the movie is her you know punching Husband the analyst Chad. for Chad Chad who Chad, is yes. like like there's a meta connection there yeah. like Chad like that Chad <laughs> is like. You know, is the director of like John Wick films and like is the is the uh, did like the uh, long
2: time stunt person for Keanu Reeves. So yeah, is like, Tiffany dating a cheap replacement for Keanu? <laughs> name
3: Chad. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a great it's a great like broad joke. Um, but um, I think it's interesting. This movie features ext- may may as well have no sequences with Trinity and her family. Right? Like this is a movie in which like like a lot of this hinges on like does this character want to stay with this family does this does this imagined family mean something to them that even though it's imaginary maybe it's what they actually wanted and so that it's imaginary like is okay like it makes them happy and like that's enough and there's like a a different version of this movie where we spend longer sequences with like trinity like It doesn't, the movie doesn't spend very much time, like, building up, like, emotional resistance to Trinity going, fuck this, like, I'm out. Like, it is, it is very, uh, it is very much the case that, like, there is not a lot of time spent, like, there's no, like, hey, she's taking, like, there's allusions to Trinity uh, or Tiff taking the kids to, to their practice. We don't get a sequence where, like, she goes and does that. And look how she lovingly looks at these children. How could she abandon them? And I think it's a really interesting choice to not engage with that part. At all, like there is no emotional buildup. It is it is singularly focused on on her relationship with or lack of relationship throughout the film with uh, with Thomas or, or Neo. And I I don't know I I was reminded of that upon revisiting it this that sequence this morning of like yeah they just don't they don't even try to do that. Um, and they, you know they give her a line where of course that's an, an emotional t- you know a cheap shot to to align herself with kids in this version mm-hmm. of the Matrix. But I don't know I thought it was interesting that. The movie is itself unconcerned with like making her wrestle with that fact.
4: Yeah, part of the thing that I read into that was definitely the that they were really stand-ins for like compulsory heteronormativity, like the idea, like Mm -hmm. the idea of this is just what you do. You well, she says that right in that opening conversation with me, right? Like, is like,
3: did I want this shit or? Which I just told that I wanted. Exactly. Um, Which I guess is a a tipping of the hand of, like, maybe maybe these kids, like, either she (laughs) doesn't like these kids, didn't want kids, or these kids kids fucking suck. Right.
0: But, like, again, like, maybe there's a... It certainly, I think, would have been an interesting conflict to explore at all. If there was like ambivalence around this. Instead, they're basically the kids from like Rushmore. Bill Murray's yeah. like awful goblin children uh, who are just like little <laughs> shitheads in the background. Every saying It's like, "Fuck them kids!" You're trying to bone um, my mom, which is like a line one of the kids like <laughs> has. And,
3: and I guess in saying that, I think it's interesting. I also think there there is something a little bit lost and like not.
0: Like, of course, you must have had some conne- like connection to to all of this. Um, but well, if we're, about, if we're talking about if we're like, talking queer trans experience, like. People coming out like late in life when you've like had a family and like built a life around this. That's also very like that's also very much a part of this. The the film, again, long running time. Don't have time to probably dig into all of this. Yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, it, it is very much <laughs> It like, is
4: already two and a half hours.
0: Right. Yeah. Oh, and, and so it, it does basically be like, look, Tr- look, Trinity. They all suck you like, all suck and that is that's what that's what sort of breaks her out of it is like Tiffany come on and she's like fucking hate that name Well, and and he also fight he also fights her so it's like it's not as like much time for
3: her have like rumination on like saying goodbye to her children before a swarm you know digitization like it comes over their faces I will
2: Let's talk a little bit about the swarm too because I on the first time they talked about swarm I was just like I don't know if I like this but then <laughs> I thought about it for a while and I rewatched the movie and and I was like, actually, I'm really digging what the transition from agents as the necessary enforcers of um, hegemon- hegemony towards like just your fellow citizens. Uh, I think that that actually is a, a very astute political uh, uh, observation here about the change in culture. You don't need to be surveilled by men in black suits. Your neighbors will sell you out. If they right. feel like it's politically expedient in this world. I think the queer trans experience, you know, I'm non-binary, uh, but which fits under the trans umbrella of a complicated blah, blah, gender. Um, <laughs> but it is like, you know, I have been friends with a lot of people throughout their transitions and what you'd see is just like you I watched them reach this point of emotional stress every fucking day where it becomes impossible to convince them that everyone in the world isn't out to get them because there's a lot of people in the world who specifically are out to get every single trans person that exists and what do you say to a person who is realizing how true that is like There's nothing you can say. Like, yes, like every single person on the street might be thinking incredibly violent transphobic thoughts about you. That is a horrible thing to realize and a horrible reality to experience.
0: And there's... I also just want to say I am thrilled that we have moved on from, like... Being phobic of any vaguely 9 11 imagery to the point where we can have an action sequence that hinges on oh, people oh throwing God. themselves <laughs> yeah. on tall yes. buildings to use themselves as human missiles to try to Holy take people out. Holy shit. Yeah, I love uh, that. Couldn't do that 15 years ago. No. But <laughs> now I'm like, you know what? That is creepy and cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that dude just wakes up and his wife's like, hey, what are you doing? Just oh out the window. Out and the,
2: the window. Like, Fuck. I love that. I love how horrible it is. I also love, um, so one of the images, I think the motorcycle chase, it doesn't match up to any of the, the spectacles in the uh, in the original Matrix trilogy, but I think it is a fitting spectacle for this movie, if only because here's how you do an action sequence that's all about love. It's like, Neo is using his power as his protective shield and Trinity's power is, is enacted through this idea of being able to be fast enough. You know, like be fast enough to get out of there be fast enough to save her love and uh, but for me like the image where i was still kind of like not on board with the mushy fights and i i was not really sure about the movie as like a visual spectacle but it, part of the heist for reasons I simply don't understand still. Sati is like oh so for some part of the heist you're gonna have to jack into Trinity and like be part of Trinity's body and you know I don't know what was going on there Sati's whole motivation really doesn't make any sense to me. She was like when Naomi was like hey so I've known for years by the way that Neo and Trinity have been alive because my father (laughs) uh, made them alive I kept that for you the entire time and I've struggled with this if you don't forgive me I understand. They just have move on right <laughs> after she says that
1: <laughs> it's just like what
3: i feel like niobe later is gonna s- 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 stab her in the back and be yeah, like look was,
1: yeah, we needed well, you
3: we needed you to get them out of here but uh you know this this that was, shit was not cool Oracle finally cool got a worthy
0: successor somebody who is just like moving the pieces around and being yep. like what they don't know they don't know
2: yeah yeah i'll we'll sort this out eventually Priyanka Chopra Jonas really showing up for 10 minutes of this movie and doing the weirdest shit. I love it. Uh,
0: uh, yeah, I, but I also uh, like, I was like, so what's the whole Jack and then thing?
2: I understand it. I really understand it. Honestly, I don't think it matters. What I think uh, matters just- narratively is that image of Bugs and Trinity being the same person. I don't know how the fuck they did that. I don't want to know. That was one of those like movies are literal magic for moments for me where it was the way it was cutting between both of them doing the uh, Agent Smith kind of hyper-powered punching with aftershock thing, and the way that Carrie Ann Moss, full-body, full-throated screams, and you can see it perfectly replicated by Bugs. I was like, there's this whole narrative thread of, like, Bugs' narrative thread that this whole movie is, what if... What if I found them and I don't understand them? What if I found mm-hmm. them and I don't like them? What if I found them and, and I don't feel the same way? And the message, the resolution that she gets is, you aren't going to feel the same way, but you are them now. <laughs> like, you are them now. We gave them to you so you could become them. You know, queer people watching this movie are, are given the message of like, you saved your own life. You know, if you credit Trinity and Neo for saving your life, it's because you were, you were, you just needed to see them so that you could become someone else's Trinity and Neo. You know, like I, yeah. I was really emotionally moved during that fight scene, not because it was a, a an impactful visual spectacle, but because it managed to communicate I mean, an emotional truth through a visual language in a way that I hadn't seen before at all. I, you know, Bugs more or less disappears from the movie at that point, and it's it's fine, because, like, that's where her emotional arc ends. That's what she needed to know about Neo and Trinity. It's like they're not the same, but neither are you.
4: Um, Two two quick things. I think the, the whole point about the, the, the bypass is that they need to get her body out before she can get to an exit, because they're doing this.
1: Oh. In, right? So
4: that's what they're doing there, is, like, they're getting her body out by putting her consciousness temporarily in bugs while they connect it to Sabebe, who can transmit back into the matrix wirelessly, I and love they can Sabebe. leave. Yeah, or not Sabebe, the other one. What's the other one? Is it Sabe- no the 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 manta ray one? <laughs> I forgot. Oh yeah, the yes, yes. Oh yeah. I keep um,
2: thinking Jajaku, but that actually is from Escaflore. So, <laughs> yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah. Uh, that that the, that one can actually transmit the way that the ships do transmit people into the matrix wirelessly, um, and that's what they're doing basically. They need to get uh, Trinity's body out, but they knew they were going to be surrounded in the situation because they're they're setting up the heist that they would take them a while to get to an exit. Where they can get her uh safely uh ejected from the matrix uh digitally you know her consciousness back back in, so that's what that was about also as we were talking what um one of the um you were mentioning like images that are gonna stick with you, gita i mm-hmm. uh immediately thought about in this fight actually like the image of uh neo and Trinity being held back by just the swarms of fucking riot police in full gear reaching out mm-hmm. to each other is i think yes! that image for me like just the <laughs> the amount of uh just horrible police gear surrounding them to become almost like you can't you can't distinguish how many fucking cops are on their bodies trying yeah. to push them away and the fact that they can still fight back through that is just like yeah. fucking beautiful to me um the, the movie
2: is asking like what is love what are what is neo and trinity's love right. it's like it's this it's reaching for each other through uh, intense resistance yeah. through societal resistance through the forces of hegemony f- want forcing you to be apart it's still still finding each other yeah that's what love is yeah I love love you guys I'm feeling all (laughs) sappy All over again I love 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 is real I didn't used to think Love is real And this movie is really Hitting me um, in that place too Where it's like And I was younger I didn't think love was real I thought love was fake And like people got married Because you know They really just You know You enjoy someone's company And like that's it And then you sort of figure I could do this For the rest of my life And then I like Entered a romantic relationship That was not horrible And I'm dating someone (laughs) Where I'm just like Every time I look at you All I can think about Is how I never want you To be unhappy Ever Ever for a single second of your life? Wow, that's crazy! <laughs> you know.
0: Um, in terms of like the the chase sequence, though, like I think again, the film swings in those thematic directions tend to connect. I think the problem is it's like it's forerunners are some of the best action movies of their type, and so like the 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 chase through the city, even there, I'm like. Man, this is it's a different aesthetic, it's a different style. And uh it like it's a place where it connect, like connects a little bit less with me. Uh but it culminates in yeah, the the chase uh like up onto the rooftop. Uh Neo and Trinity's like love and at this point Trinity's strength and belief
1: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. uh enables them to fly. Shout out which to Which
3: is also which, the whole the whole that, I mean that that little bit is like, yeah, that is also the Matrix, right? Like, mm-hmm. N- Neo, the one, doesn't work without, like, her yeah. belief. I mean, he he says that explicitly, right? Yeah. Where, like, like you know, earlier, just before all this sequence, you know, someone asked, like, you know, uh, about if he believes that she will, you know, she'll decide to come out. And he's like, well, she, I never thought I was the one. She always believed in me. Now it's my turn to believe in her. Mm. Um, And, like, it, this this entire franchise has always, like, been saddled on... Like the belief in not just love, but like Carrie Moss Moss's like belief in
0: her own self and her own feelings. Um, also, I do love the moment where they ask him, "Can you still fly?" And he tries to do the like the <laughs> one oh thing. God, he's like, no, yes, no. very good. That was really very good. much too old. <laughs> Knees don't do that anymore. Yeah. Not oh, flying,
1: bending Apollo. over. <sighs> Oof, that yeah. yeah, It's I not happening, guys.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, they they fly to his therapist's office. Uh, and kick his ass. Um, in part where, like, in maybe the most, we're just gonna make the uh, subtext text thing. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris's analyst sort of explains that you yeah, know, most people just like this, like, you can't liberate these people, the mm-hmm. sheeple. Uh, will will resist that, and they will they will always choose uh, both from a combination of uh, from from that combination of like fear and want that uh, we discussed earlier to sort of remain trapped in uh, this boring and miserable status quo uh, that defines like ninety nine point nine percent of human existence. And uh, crucially, is like you can paint the sky with rainbows, and it's not going to change anything. Um, and then, like, they, they basically declare, they don't buy into his cynicism, they are going to, they, they, together, are going to do exactly that, uh, and are going to show people, like, what, what freedom looks like, what, what, what freedom means. Um, and they, do they take the cat? I can't remember. But they, they, they fly off into the air. Um. I.
2: Yeah. So there's actually another image that I think will will it has touched me emotionally in the same exact way as the first Matrix movies did. And it's it's when they they leap from the roof. Right. And much has made been made in the press of how that was uh they that was a stunt they did with wires. None of that was CGI. You can see the clips of them truly leaping off of a building with wires attached while they filmed Couldn't it. Couldn't be me couldn't be me. I think I would piss myself and yep. then have to CGI out my piss. You know, like that would be it. Well, there are, there are
3: some, there, if you look closely at Keanu's face, I think you might be seeing a human being actually pissing <laughs> themselves. He does not, he doesn't look particularly confident as, as, that, as the leap is going. I think, yeah. it, again, he believes in her. I don't yeah. know that he believes in this jump.
2: Especially because his rig is like, so Neo- tries to fly here and he just has to have faith he has to have faith because there's nothing else they can do but it's trinity who flies and who is carrying them so neo's rig in that in that stunt shot also is the one where he's going to fall even more and yes. she has to carry him yes. <laughs> so that must have been terrifying <laughs> because holy shit but also, I mean, it makes a huge difference that the sun, the stunt was done for real. Like you can tell, you can tell because of the way that the light hits their faces and how beautiful they look in a real sun, a sunset behind them. It, it is a masterful, masterful sequence, and it is imbued with so much feeling just because of how much importance has been placed on under alienation in the beginning of the film and then how it's not literally disrupted for Trinity in the same way that it is for Neil. She just gets to discover a new part of herself, a strength that she didn't know she had. I think a lot of us um, in our thirties and beyond right now have had to draw on wells of strength. We did not have, you know, whether it's through uh, a 2016 unexpected Trump presidency or throughout the end of that, where we bounced straight into a pandemic, like we have had to come together for our communities in ways that we, we didn't know that we would still need to be doing. You know, my, my dad once told me, so my dad marched in Selma and it's like from Selma, Alabama, and he marched in the, in the Voting Rights Act thing, you know, he tells a story about reaching the end of the, the bridge. And just seeing the the police let go of the dogs. And he's just like, okay, so I'm going to get beat, eaten by dogs. Or I'm going to jump off this bridge, I guess. So, like, uh, it was pretty intense for him. And I remember uh, when the Voting Rights Act was guided by the Supreme Court, which is why that march was happening. He told me uh, shortly after, uh, we had a pretty frank conversation about his activism. And he said, like, the reason why I did this as a teenager, he was 16, um, is because I didn't want you guys my children to experience the things that I went through. And I've had to understand that a lot of the things that I've been so proud of my father fighting for, they're not guarantees. Progress can go backwards. You know, the voting rights act is not, it it was something that brought a lot of equality, especially to Southerns for black voters in Southern states. But over the, over time, since it's been enacted, We've it's been chipped away until it's fundamentally meaningless. And I've had to find the strength to fly when I've had no other choices emotionally throughout that time that I felt like it's just such a, a poignant message. And just like what is, like it's so like, I don't know, like David does believe in me that much. You know, it touches me. <laughs> it makes <laughs> me think about the people I love in my life who's who've always believed in me, even when I felt disconnected and alienated and didn't know how to escape. And, like, that is, again, reflected in the scene at the end of the movie, right after they kick Neil Patrick's Harris's jaw straight off. He's also (laughs) using, like, incredibly misogynistic language, which, as a person who is identified as a woman and also been on the Internet, it's just, like, becomes this inane back chatter in your life. And you don't even realize how fucking irritating it is to be pushed like that all the time until you no longer hang out with people who do that to you. Uh very satisfying to watch that character get the shit bait out of him but the the (laughs) thing that the entire movie is building to and is the most important shot in the entire matrix series is the two of them dancing and flirting and holding hands in the sky right after they say we're gonna go paint the sky with rainbows it's like what what defeats eternal conflict real genuine true selfless love that is the most important thing
3: and for that to come after, like I, th- I think, it was like so so powerful. The sequence where they jump off the building is also. It's like, yeah, like turns out she gained some of the powers of the one or whatever. But I, they were fully ready to just like that to be it. And yeah. and, the, and the thought was like, there is also progress in us. And you know, our, our lives ending on our own terms. We remove a tool of power from the oppressors. Mm-hmm. Um, but we found each other. We love each other. We've connected again. We both know this. And if this is it, there are there are worse fates. And mm-hmm. that itself is like a sort of beautiful sentiment before we get, you know, the obviously like more satisfying yeah. uh, ending of like them being able to punch that dude in the face. But I <laughs> I thought that was like a really beautiful notion before we get to that moment was like. There was finality, like, in Mm -hmm. that moment, regardless of what what happened. And we also get the extra juice at the end that is, like, satisfying in its own right. But I thought that was, like, a a really beautiful resolution to those characters. It is full circle for Thomas Anderson's, like, struggle with, like, wanting or thinking about ending his own life. And in this instance, like, if that was to happen to them because they jump off of this uh, building – well, it's for entirely. It's an entirely different context. It's yeah. for entirely different reasons. It is. Yeah. It is a choice not made to escape, but it is a choice made because, well, you you feel like you've reached the end of a thing, and and you're happy and satisfied, and like that is, uh, I don't know, that was beautiful in its own right. Um, yeah, uh, and the feeling we got of got to that.
2: Happiness and satisfaction at reaching the end of something is also mm. something I feel like a lot of these distant sequels do not really give audiences, like another sort of metatextual or paratextual thing that's coming through here. Like, I don't know. the la- I don't, When was the um, last time I even watched one of those distant sequels? Now my expectations are so low, I basically skip them. But it, 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 a lot of these things are built and designed not to give the audience a new sense of conclusion, but to open up new franchise opportunities for studios that want to make money off of these properties that are no longer making new content, but uh, still have a lot of fans. This like, one kind of yeah. still
3: does, which I also think is a bold choice yeah. on Lana's point, uh, is to essentially leave the movie in the same place that the first one ends. Which yeah, is, yeah. Which exce- is that, hey, we're going to go fuck up the system. How? Don't worry about it. We're gonna fuck up the system, (laughs) and I and I don't think that is like a failure of imagination on you know Lana and the other screenwriters' part or the characters' part. But I do think it's like an interesting you know we remarked on this at the end of like talking about revolutions is like that movie also doesn't I mean it has closure but it Mm -hmm. doesn't end with like a complete resolution to the story like you have to imagine what takes place after that Um, and I I like the fact and I don't think it's a crass cynical like franchise extending thing for this movie to end here. I think it is It is clearly a, a thematic, like where we started is where we, where we end up here is uh, the movie doesn't ha- like promise to have the answers about how we fix these things. And I think that's why right. it's also fixated so much on emotions and love and connection and community. It It, that is itself an ideology and a philosophy, but it is not, it is not so bold as to say like, but also if we do X, Y, and Z, like, it'll all get better. It's like, no, like, we'll leave. We have a belief it can be better. We've connected. And, like, I don't know. Let's go figure out figure out what that is. And um, so it leaves it open where, like, of course, like, you can, like, crassly imagine how they – I don't think Keanu or, 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 or Carrie Ann Moss would, would come back for those movies. They specifically mm-hmm. said the only reason they returned was because Lana asked them to return. And that was, like, the only reason that they yeah. came back to do this film – So I think that avenue is sort of cut off because of like the relationships between these filmmakers, um, which just makes like the ending itself. um, I don't know. It gives an extra weight and an extra, like a little bit of power because it like to have that exact same ending sequence, I think is, is really interesting as a creator.
4: Well, I think, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think it, it, it kind of reiterates some of the like ideas that the original ending and even the ending of the third uh movie Mm -hmm. we're leaving where like the like it's a it's a process right the work Mm -hmm. doesn't end even at the end of the matrix three where it feels like the war is over it's like there there's a there is a peace and it is temporary like the architect and the oracle talk about that right but it's like the point of it was that it's worth fighting for even if you're going to have to continue fighting later. And this one, I think, kind of shifts that into being like... The struggle doesn't really end, but it's a it's a fight that's worth continuing to fight, right? Like, the mm-hmm. point is here that kind of... I connected to, like, the idea of just growing older and feeling more weary about having to fight those battles, but that it is still worth fighting those battles. And, like, some people can fall into a sense of, like, well, I got mine... I'm stable and comfortable. I'm not gonna stick mm-hmm. my neck out to protect other people anymore. Into them being like, we're giving it a second chance to be people who change these structures, like fight against these structures, right? Like that's what they say. Like, uh, thank we want to thank you for giving us another chance, right? Uh, and like, really that, touched me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that really like like. it's really great because like these characters emotionally have reached a finality in their in that arc but structurally the film still says like this isn't the end of the conflict within the world of the matrix because there is no real end to the conflict of like breaking down these barriers like some structure will always exist that needs to be uh, fought against or pointed out, you know, in the world. And it's worth doing, even if yeah. there is no, quote unquote, end in sight.
2: It's always worth fighting for love, fighting for the people that you love. Yeah. And showing those people that you love them. Even if society is trying to tell you that your existence is inconvenient or wrong, yeah. you know, or that the love should not be fulfilled. You know, it, it is so related to Jupiter Ascending, which is also yeah. a love story and also has kind of a fanfic-y feel to it in that it is yes. really clearly like a wish fulfillment-y. I mean, just the whole thing with Sean <laughs> being like, bees are programmed to never sting royalty. That was when I sort of was like, okay, I know what mood that we're gonna go uh-huh. into this movie uh-huh. to, and it's uh, the same mood I go into when I open up AO3. <laughs> like, it is
3: like that weird. That movie also, a- that- Jupiter Ascending also ends with like, yeah, let's fly off into the sky yeah. and like, be in love, like yeah. I remember the, watching the, the final shot. They'd be like, "Damn, they fucking they love to end movies with people flying into the sky in love."
2: Yes, they really do. It's like I mean, I I get it. I get it here because I don't know. Love makes you feel like you can fly. <laughs> this is sure. you know my little, little baby like baby's first love story. Like enthusiasm here, but it's like yeah, like when I'm when I'm with my partner and. I feel like the fullest expression of love is being enacted between the two of us and and we're on a date or he's making me dinner or even he just like looks at me in a certain way where I can tell that he loves me. I'm like, I could, I could fly in this moment. I feel like so emotionally light and so supported by someone else that I feel like I can fly. And I see that in these characters Mm -hmm. flying off into the distance it's also i mean i love i love that it stops so abruptly because it's also just like it's it is it's refusal to show you what they do is sort of the opposite of what the analyst has done to them which is obsessively showing them how close they can be but how far away they actually are here, Lana instead is like they're gonna get some privacy. <laughs> like these characters, <laughs> their story's done, and now they get to be together, and that tension is no longer there. So we're just gonna let them be together, and I I like that as a was a creator's way of showing the audience like I made these characters, and now I'm going to say goodbye to them. I don't know. I don't. I don't think these characters are gonna come back again. Like they're just no. done. There's no nothing in the story that's left, and I think. It's especially because that, that final scene is so allegorical, where you can feel like, it, you know, it's it's Trinity talking to the analyst, but it's also Lana Wachowski talking to every weirdo right-wing chud who has misappropriated the imagery and language and ideas from the first Matrix movie uh, and tried to give it a caustic right-wing meaning. Uh, like, the whole sort of the red pill thing, like, in the, the absence of new Matrix movies... Got completely reappropriated to first be a reference to men's rights activists and uh, sort of and then just becoming a, an overall uh, call to arms for uh, very like right wingers with a specific racist and misogynist and homophobic bent to them uh, as sort of like come see the true world in and of itself, take the red pill. Where here it, it's like, when Trinity says, in a way, I want to thank you for giving me a second chance. She's she's talking to the people that saw these movies and twisted them. And like she is saying, I'm here and I'm reclaiming the thing that I made. Yeah. Like, thank you for giving me the opportunity for showing me that I I needed to reclaim it. And I needed to restate what the imagery of the Matrix means.
0: Uh, I think we will leave it there unless we have any like final points about just overall the, like two
3: extremely small things one the body horror when the analyst explains like what they did to reconstruct their two bodies yeah. is like the grossest shit this series has done oh my God. since some of the scenes in the in the first Fucking movie old.
1: like <laughs> yeah. it's,
3: it's whor- like yeah. horrifying yeah. but then also there also being like scenes where like their powers combined and they Dragon Ball Z blew up like whatever they were building <laughs> and they clearly then had to start over yeah very funny I love that two uh I didn't notice this the first time through, and I didn't notice it till someone pointed out that like uh Neo and Trinity don't use guns in this film. There are yeah. guns everywhere. But those two characters specifically don't use them. I, I you That's know, I don't, I don't know what the movie is saying with that necessarily. Uh th- that is for another essayist to <laughs> point out to me or like <laughs> yeah. what that means over the the themes of the film, but I think it's clearly deliberate, um, and I, I think is interesting.
0: In the meantime, like, some characters are carrying guns that are so clearly <laughs> shot you can see the Sig branding uh, on the on the stock. Uh, just in case you want to know uh, what what bullpup submachine gun the cool queer uh, neologist is carrying in the fight with uh, the Mervs the Mervs army. You and- know,
2: I love that they just gave all the gays guns.
0: You know, <laughs> they really did.
2: Like, here, here is the sort of, the the fucking LGBTQ mafia that all these right wingers
1: are afraid of. (laughs)
2: Like, sorry, like, we, we did come for your children. (laughs) Like, you know, it is, I, I love the literalness of this. In general, I just want to say, um, this, yeah, the, the Munchauskis have never been subtle, but this is, like, one of the least subtle movies I've ever seen in my entire life. And I, I really appreciate its directness. I think, uh, I, I like movies, that do not so directly confront the things that they are capital A about uh, a lot. But I really, really think, I really, really appreciate a piece of popular culture, mainstream popular culture, that is so willing to look directly in the eye of the storm in terms of it's important to, it's important, like, what it means to be a part of popular culture, what it means to live in the cultural imaginary, what it, what it means, like, to, to, it's a movie about stuff. It's a movie about stuff and I like it. That's all I want to say. And it costs a lot of
3: money to make. And yeah. like, it's like – it's it's an increasing rarity in which like the, mon- the movies that cost a lot of money to make, that make a lot of money, are like varying degrees of like entertaining, like well-crafted popcorn fluff, but frequently don't have a lot beneath the surface. And that's – you know, that's fine to a certain degree, but it was really refreshing to be reminded that like, oh, it is possible – for something to be really big and really pretty Mm -hmm. and have a lot of substance to it. Yeah. Um, And if, and if, if, if the Matrix Resurrections is like sort of like, you know, uh, a period on the end of like an, like an, an era in which like we're losing a lot of that, um, I can think of worse ways to go out than
0: with this film.
2: I'm with you on that.
0: That'll do it for today's podcast, our thanks to all of you who joined us for these conversations over the last month or so, and for making it possible with your Waypoint Plus subscriptions. Next up on Waypoint Plus, we're going to be discussing Michael Mann's crime story, a 1986 cult hit that starred Dennis Farina as a cop on the edge and then increasingly beyond the edge of obsession and criminal misconduct. It ran for two seasons, during which Mann used it as a creative laboratory of sorts for a lot of ideas he would play around with and heat and public enemies, but it was also a sharp departure from the the case-of-the-week format that defined most cop procedurals of the era and Mann's own Miami Vice. If you ever wondered about what the shield or the wire might have looked like in 1986, Crime Story is probably it. We'll be chatting about that in a couple weeks' time with special guest and Crime Story superfan, Jeff Green, so be sure to check that out. Our theme music is Slide Asleep by Two Mellow. You can learn more and check out the rest of Two Mellow's catalog at numeral twomelomakes.bandcamp.com. We'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. Until then, fuck capitalism, go home. we'll do it for today's podcast uh and if you're just joining us we have talked about the entire matrix series uh here and on the waypoint radio feed uh and those of you listening thanks as always for supporting us uh via waypoint plus our theme music this is slide asleep right Kato? is that what we're yeah doing? yeah yes. uh so so our, our our theme music for this show is two mellows uh, slide asleep uh I don't have the script written for that part. This is I'm uh, not sure.bancamp.com. At you at you <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh we'll be back in a couple weeks. Mellow two, band, number two. Um, numeral, numeral. Yeah. Numeral two. Numero two. Uh two mellow Uh at Bandcamp.com. Uh, about we'll be talking to you in I think a week, two weeks. Uh we we'll be going through uh, the Den- the, the memorable and singular Dennis Farina vehicle crime story, uh, which in many ways is a Wait. weird network TV. Sorry, thing. just because we just mentioned it.
4: It's two mellow makes two mellow makes dot Okay. All
0: right. I'll fix that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to just do cleanup on the entire thing. <laughs> uh, Yeah, I think in a week or two weeks, uh, we're going to be discussing the uh, Dennis Farina vehicle crime story, which is a weird network 80s network TV forerunner of a lot of the direction Prestige TV would go 20 years later uh, in which Dennis Farina is uh a a cop on a mission to take down a ro- rival mafiosi uh in a series that seems like the lab for Michael Mann's entire career that would follow this TV show. Uh so we'll be talking about that over on Manhunting. Uh until so check that out. It's an interesting show. Uh man, I really this is why you need to write these things down. This is this is why I need to write outros because Patrick just starts staring dead-eyed into the camera, and I'm like, yeah. See, this is Patrick's enjoying this way too much. So that little smirk. That <laughs> I little, just
3: was reading an email, and like, you, you're just stop stop
0: looking to me for your torture. <laughs> but that's where I look for my torture, Patrick. It's,
2: just, it's, it's, like, it's eyebrows, like the, like the
0: anti Neo in Trinity. <laughs>
3: And that is what keeps us together. Are <laughs> yeah, the
2: Hanya Yanagahara of this podcast, Patrick? Is that what you're saying? You're going to just keep us alive perfunctorially as we all just slowly descend into our own madness. Uh, what
0: we- Patrick we- is the analyst. <laughs> 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 oh, uh, please. So we'll talk to you again in a week or two. Uh, thanks as always for supporting us. Uh, fuck capitalism. Go home.